You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Ah, got him. That should keep the first order off our backs. Nice work, Paul. Tim, are we set to make the jump? Yep. The end of the prime in accordance with the rendezvous are set. All right. Strap in and let's get this intel delivered to the resistance. Punch it! You're listening to Star Wars. The saga continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery, Tim Jirasi, and Paul Herman, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Hey there, Star Wars fans, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all the latest news, rumors, and updates about all the cool upcoming projects in the Star Wars universe. As always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Tim and Paul. How's it going, guys? What's up, guys? Boy, am I excited for this one. Been chomping at the bit (laughs) the last week or so to be talking about The Mandalorian returning and just how glorious it's been. So, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, this is a this is great. I'm super, super excited to talk about The Mandalorian. It feels my my Star Wars uh, just kind of drive is starting to kind of kick back in after kind of being just kind of waiting around for all, you know, all summer after Clone Wars came out and, and, you know, raising my daughter and getting used to life. It seemed like Star Wars kind of just kind of seemed kind of just needed to kind of take a backseat for a minute, but now it's starting to kind of ramp up a little bit and I'm getting kind of, I'm getting mega hyped over stuff. So yeah, this is really exciting. I'm, I'm, and Mandalorian is a big reason why, obviously. So I'm, I'm, I'm gearing up and yeah, lots of, lots to talk about these two, these uh, two episodes. Yeah, and I mean, we really haven't had much news or anything since our last episode. Um, really, the only like little news story that I wanted to mention was the fact that Star Wars Episode One Racer, which got re-released earlier this year on PS4 and Nintendo Switch, uh, just out of the blue, was finally released on Xbox uh, just a couple weeks ago, I think. Um, so if you're an Xbox user and uh, you've been waiting to, to try to get your hands on that, that's out now. Um, I've been having a ton of fun with it, getting to replay that again and relive my childhood circa 1999. Um, It's been a lot of fun. Uh, But aside from that, um, the news has been pretty quiet. There's no casting announcements, no trailers, no none of that kind of stuff. But uh, we get to sit here and just talk about the first two episodes of season two of The Mandalorian, uh, geek out about how awesome that's been, and uh, I don't know, maybe speculate a little bit about what we might see for the rest of the season. So... Without further ado, I would say let's just go ahead and dive into uh, the first episode, The Marshal, which uh, first, I mean, I'll, I'll just start off with kind of initial reactions to seeing, you know, sort of how this episode opened up and, and where we started. Because we knew from the trailer that we were going back to Tatooine. We had obviously heard the casting announcements about, uh, or not even announcements, rumors, I guess. Um, or unconfirmed announcements about Tamora Morrison coming back as Boba Fett. We knew that Timothy Oliphant was going to be in the show at some point, uh, but, you know, there was some speculation that he might play Cobb Vanth, this guy that's got Boba Fett's armor in the Aftermath novels. Um, This was something that I was, like, 
if this is true, which I'm still kind of taking it with a grain of salt, I'm expecting that this will be one of the later episodes in the season, you know, because Boba Fett coming back would be a big deal and everything. And so when this episode opened up and we see the title, The Marshal, and you find out that he's going to Tatooine, I was like, oh, shoot, we're starting off with this Mm -hmm. right out the gate. Um, (laughs) So it was, I mean, starting season two off with a bang. Um, before, I mean, even before we get to that point, though, just the opening scene where he's walking in to, uh, walks into, like, the Gamorrean fight club and, has, you know, he's got, like, the seedy gangsters there and stuff that he's trying to get information from about the whereabouts of the Mandalorians, um, and, uh, just the fight that breaks out and the way that he deals with all those guys was so freaking cool and just a... A, just a cool action-packed start to the episode, and I thought it served as a good reminder, like, after all the character progression that we've seen for Mando over the course of season one and him uh, sort of developing a soft spot for the child and learning to, you know, care about someone else and not just look out for himself, um, the opening of this episode was just a, a reminder right out the gate that he's still a stone-cold boss when he needs to be, so... Um, that was a lot of fun to watch. I mean, what'd you guys think of that opening fight scene? Yeah. And just to echo what you said about opening up Disney plus and going to episode nine scene, or I should say chapter nine and seeing the title, the Marshall, I had the exact same feeling of excitement that you did. It's like, Oh boy, we're, they're doing this in the first episode of season two. Oh, we're so gonna see- I know you watched it later in the day. So when you watched it on Disney plus, it had the title right there on it. Well, um, because for the premiere, I actually stayed up that Thursday night till midnight to watch it. Oh, and, okay. oh, that's right. That's right. You watched it before me. Yeah. But now that you mention it, because it doesn't say the chapter titles still for episode one and two when you go there right now, at least as of yesterday when I last watched them. But I could have sworn the it said the marshal on there, or unless it was in the it was either in the description or maybe I'm just going off the, the reaction when the title card came up in the actual episode. But I mean, maybe they put that up there by mistake when it first came out but yeah i know for me i didn't know the title of it until until we saw it uh you know after starting the episode Mm, but no yeah i felt exactly like you did just being super excited knowing that it looks like we're gonna they're gonna go with the Cobb story and we may possibly see boba fett again in this first episode of season two and i man i just couldn't contain my excitement and this is a fault of my own but as the episode was going through, as it was moving along. I was enjoying the heck out of it. Not to jump too far ahead, but in the back of my mind, I just kept thinking to myself, I just hope there's enough time for Boba Fett in this episode. I just hope there's enough time that we're going to see Boba Fett in this episode. That's all I kept thinking about, just the excitement of maybe seeing him again. But before we get to that, I agree with you as far as the episode kicking off with a bang. And it reminded me almost... Like it started off in a similar fashion that the first episode of season one did, but it was definitely played out a lot. I don't want to say a whole lot better, but it felt more natural, I guess, than the first episode did of season one. Kind of how we're talking about where it felt a little off in certain aspects, mainly due to that one alien character who we may be seeing again this season. But um, this one didn't have that kind of awkwardness to it. Um, it just uh, seeing Mando again take down these criminals and gangsters who are after him it was just really cool and i'm glad too where how in the trailer the very first trailer is faded to black once he shot off the whispering birds and you just hear the sound effects of the punches and the fight going on and kind of hiding what the fight was going to be and seeing the actual fight play out was really really cool and just how 
even though it was short, but the fight choreography would just, it stood out to me the way Mando was moving and taking down the, the enemies he was fighting and the sound effects of their punches landing on the armor and just hearing that metal bang. It kind of reminded me of in the first X-Men movie where Wolverine was in the cage fight and you just hear uh, the person who was fighting try to punch him and you hear it, the sound hitting the adamantium skeleton. It just sounded really cool uh, with that effect in the fight. So yeah, it was just a great way to kick off the episode. And just even though we've got that title sequence or uh, I saw it was titled The Marshal and knew where this was going, just hearing the words Tatooine again and knowing that's where they're going to go, it just got me so excited about the possibilities of what we're going to see in this episode. And it delivered on that and more so because it also added some elements I was totally not prepared to see and it just blew me away. I just can't wait to get into all that stuff. But just right away, it started off with a bang. Yeah, this was one of those things where I it was a good it was a great setup to kind of remind everyone. And again, this is made for the general audience. It's made for the hardcore fans, but it's supposed to be made for everyone and it kind of reestablishes everything. And one of the things that I immediately uh kind of you know from that first opening scene of everything was one it was great seeing different aliens and and, and not just different aliens, but just from all different sites of the trilogies we got, we were getting aliens from the sequel trilogy to the original trilogy to the prequel trilogy. And they're all intermixed. And it's just such a great yeah, tasteful thing to see everything integrated. And it just feels right. And I think that's the, one of the things that the Mandalorian has done so well is integrate so many different things as we'll get well into that in this episode, obviously, but just right off the bat, they don't they don't hold back, and you're seeing things like, oh, that's how that works, or oh yeah, those aliens, or whatever, like vibro axes. One of the things about vibro weapons that I always wanted to know is, if they don't really work, why do people use them? Like what <laughs> they, if you know what I mean? Like if oh, they're yeah. not just just basic melee weapons, then what the hell are they using them for then? Like why wouldn't they just not use them? You know what I mean? And so it was kind of cool to see um, the vibro axes kind of in, 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 in action a little bit because we haven't really seen them in action in, in live action. And so seeing them, at least in that regard, with the Gamorreans was kind of it was really cool to see. Um, so it, though I, I love Gamorrean guards and I was really so, stoked to see them, it also was weird to see how like skinny their legs were. That was kind of weird <laughs> for me. Yeah. It, But you know what? I I think I think that was almost intentional, though, to show like even though the ones in like the only ones we've seen are in Jabba's palace and they're obviously like big chonky boys. Um, But, you know, you could have Gamorreans of different sizes, just like in Clone Wars, like, you know, Bosk was the only Trandoshan we'd ever seen. And he's all like tall and lean. And then in that one episode in season one, you had uh, the Trandoshan that's played by Ron Perlman, who's like the big fat guy. Um, so I kind of like that, that they're showing, you know, these Gamorreans are probably in a little bit better shape, you know, being used as like professional fighters than the ones that probably just sit around eating at Jabba's palace all day. And, and, and that's where I, I guess it wasn't even most, so, it's not so much their, their legs were so skinny. It was more of just like the, the makeup and detail just seemed lacking compared to those aliens in, in Jabba's palace. I think maybe that's what more. It just they seemed a little little more too human. And I think that's where I had my issue with it. It, just, it looked a little more fake. 
everything else on top looked, I think, pretty good. I, I think, granted, they, they I think they shot far away enough from them that they didn't want to get too in on in, in close. But for the most part, I'm, I'm nitpicking at that point. But it was a little that was a little a little jarring when I when I rewatched the episode. But no, the whole opening is great. And one thing that I, I brought up on my Marvel podcast actually that I thought was interesting talking about Oscar Isaac and joining Moon Knight. And if you guys know that character at all, that's a very violent character. I actually use the opening of this episode to kind of really further my point of that they're going to go a darker route with that character because the, the character from that comic is very dark and got darker tones. Because in this episode, he totally leaves this guy to die. And yeah. I was like, man, and I know we've already had Mando do these kinds of things in previous episodes, like with um, the opening of the first episode of the first season. And that was where he had the guy chopped in half or whatever. It, it made it all, it, that all makes sense and, and whatever, but it was just really interesting to me that if, and, and also very telling that Disney's letting Favreau and Filoni go a little bit darker with this main character. I mean, Again, and Disney's more than just their Disney family films. We we all know that, especially with the Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, all that stuff. And well, with and, Marvel, you know, and all the well, well, characters that die and stuff in the Avengers movies. Well, not just characters that die, but like a little more. Again, a little more of a gray area character, and I think that at least in that regard, I don't know. It just it was a little surprising because. I, I was I was a little surprised that he he left them to die. It was just it was again in a Marvel film. It's a little bit different. Marvel has their own branding. They because Disney purchased that branding, whereas now Disney led with the Mandalorian. So it's so it's got Disney's name in front of the Mandalorian. All everyone associates Disney Plus Disney brand name with the Mandalorian, and he did something that kind of dark, a little bit dark. Which again I love. I love the fact that he left it off to the, with those creatures, which I didn't even notice the first time. My wife had actually sent something like, oh, my God, look at those things. And I didn't I was like, what is she talking about? When we watched it again, I'm like, oh, the red eyes. I couldn't I didn't see him for whatever reason. So it's such a cool anyway, visual effect where you don't even see exactly what they look like. We're just seeing their yeah. eyes. Again, yeah. such a creepy. Yeah. And it leaves you wondering, really cool. like, are they are they fear knocks? Are they Anubas? You know, are they some other kind of creature right, that we haven't know. seen before? But, yeah, I like that that sort of dark mystery of it. And that. Uh, but, yeah. But th that's the thing, though, like it's it's a very it kind of sets a great tone for it's this is still the Mandalorian. Mm -hmm. Like it's still got a serious kind of, you know, darkness to it. Yeah. It's and like I just... said, even though he's got a soft spot for the child now, he exactly. still mm -hmm. will take no prisoners when he needs to. And it's also not like he just straight up murdered this guy in cold blood. Like the guy tried to kill him first. You know, he it, just went and, there. He yeah, just went there to talk exactly. business and try to get some information from him. And the guy turned on him. And you know, after Mando took out all his goons, he's like, "You know what? You can stay here and get eaten for all I care." I love that shot, by the way, during the fight when uh, Mando gets punched in the head a couple of times, and it like, you know, obviously doesn't hurt him because he's wearing a Beskar helmet. And so then the guy comes to punch him again, and he just like leans into it and blocks the punch with his fist, and it so hurts cool, the yeah. other guy and not him. <laughs> Yeah, that was kind of weird to me. I, I I was thinking about this the other day. Why did people try to punch the Mandalorian? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but it was fun. No, no, I, 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 I get it. I'm not. It's again. I'm not. It's not even a nitpick. I'm just like, why did? Why would they? Even, like, why would you? I, I always remember, like when 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 Obi Wan kicked Grievous, and he was like, "Oh, it hurts his leg." I'm like, 
why why did he even kick him? That would hurt. Like <laughs> he should know that would hurt him. I, I maybe it's a natural instinct or whatever, right? So I mean, I think but, it, obviously it's just kind of played for laughs. Uh, you do some, you know, you do a, a move that you would normally see in a fight scene, and then go, oh wait, that doesn't work on this guy because he's made of metal or he's wearing Beskar or whatever. Um, right, right, right. But yeah, definitely a cool action-packed opening, and then we find out that we're going to Tatooine. Um, that that's where you know this guy says there's another Mandalorian that he knows of. Um, so he takes off for Tatooine. We see Chapter Nine, the Marshal. We see the shots of him flying into Tatooine, you know, with the the dunes and the Bantha and everything, and then he lands in the docking bay on Mos Eisley with Peli Moto and the pit droids. And I have to say, this was actually one of the most pleasant surprises for me in this episode. I I would say episode five of season one was, I mean, I enjoyed it more than most people. I know some people really, you know, disliked that episode or thought it was I enjoyed it too. boring filler or whatever. I, en- I enjoyed it, but it's definitely my least favorite episode of the season. And a, a, Really? Bro- Even over four? Yeah, you know, four actually is probably the one that grew on me the most. Um, it's still probably in the bottom half of my rankings just because there's so many other cool episodes, but I actually like, well, I like about, I, I like something about four that I also really like about this episode that it almost feels like its own little mini Star Wars movie. Like, I like how sort of self-contained it feels. Um, sure. but I love the soundtrack. I love the, the action with them fighting the ATST and everything. So that episode ranks a, a couple spots higher, but um, yeah, after rewatching it a couple times, you know, episode five, the gunslinger doesn't really do much for me. Um, and I really didn't like, uh, Amy Sedaris's character, Pelimoto. Like she just rubbed me the wrong way the first time, which is kind of annoying this episode. And, and so when he lands in the docking bay and you see her again, I was like, oh great, it's you again. And I actually ended up really enjoying her character in this episode much more than I did the first time around. I don't know if it's, you know, if it was her performance or, uh, it was written better, um, but she was like one of my main complaints with season one was that some of the side characters uh, just kind of like stuck out like a sore thumb to me and just didn't feel like they felt like Star Wars characters. It felt like a character from an like an American sitcom that was copied and pasted into a Star Wars scene and it just didn't mesh well. Like that's the same way I felt about like the blue fish guy that he captures in episode one. Um and the like the villager guys in episode four that come to ask him for their help and they're like oh man now i guess we have to go back to our village in the middle of nowhere um so yeah i mean i i don't know something about her performance this time around just clicked for me and i liked her a lot more um and it was also cool to see how mando's uh outlook on droids has changed when you know the pit droids go running over to the ship and she's like no no get away you know he doesn't like droids and then mando's like hey you might as well let him have at it uh she's like oh he likes droids now so seeing a little bit more of that um continued character development from season one um but yeah this was fun and then of course you get some hijinks where the pit droids like got his hose or his face getting sucked off by a hose while they're trying to fix the ship um so it was a fun little scene there as we're, we're reintroduced to tatooine and moss eisley no, yeah, I kind of feel the same way about that sequence where, you know, it was just who's in it in that whole little um, funny aspect with the pit droids. It's just for the right amount of time where it doesn't get annoying or starts taking you out of the story that they're trying to tell at the early get-go, but just setting up things nicely. And I just like how, too, where she calls, we got the 
miraculous return of R5D4 too. I mean, how cool is that? Oh yeah, that? yeah. He's doing a lot better than we last saw him in A New Hope. I like how too, where that still have a little burnt mark on the top of his dome right there, kind of hinting at <laughs> yeah. the part that malfunctioned in A New Hope. So cool little details like that just puts a smile on my face as I was watching it. But then just kind of showing the landscape of Tatooine, showing where Mos Eisley is, Mos Espa, then finally reaching to Mos Pelgo and showing that that's where he needs to go and it's kind of the state of that town now and just how things have changed since the fall of the empire. So just a cool little way to set things up uh, for the journey that Mando and the child are going to be taking on this episode. So yeah, I agree with you. It was something where when you first, uh, first off, just seeing Tatooine again, I know we saw it in the last, last season, but I just, I don't get tired of seeing that planet really. <laughs> just, I said this before that planet is star Wars and I think it's always a treat when we get to go back there, of course, you don't want to overdo it to where it loses its specialness. But so far, if it's like an episode a season that we go back to Tatooine, I'm totally cool with that. But because we get different looks at the planet that we've never seen before. And this yeah. definitely continues in this episode, which is really cool. But a nice way to kick things off and returning to the planet again, I thought. I never I'm one of those people that I don't mind. I don't mind for the most part if they go if they kind of keep going back to Tatooine. Um, I mean, to an extent, obviously, but as long as they're telling good stories, I really won't mind, especially because how special I think Tatooine is and what it means. Exactly. I, I really don't. I really don't care if we're stuck on. I mean, I I, I want to be fair because I was very critical of Rebels because they always stayed on the same, you know, lawful, 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 whatever, and. I was getting sick and tired of like being on Lothal all, all the time. So that, so I could understand if they were just on Tatooine nonstop for budgetary reasons. And that, you know, would be kind of a bummer, I guess. But like, for instance, we're going to get like Obu and Kenobi and I don't really care because I I'm going in and knowing he's probably not going to be leaving Tatooine. So I'm going to be stoked about it. So for me, it's, it really is about story. It's, it's, it's giving me, as long as it gives me a good story, then who cares? Right. So that's kind of the, my main, my main thing, but yeah, seeing her, uh, Peli, is it Peli Mogo? What, what's her name again? What? Peli Moto. Peli Moto, yeah. Peli Moto. Amy Sedaris, uh, my, my wife's a big Amy Sedaris fan. She loves, uh, all a bunch of her shows and whatever. And, you know, and I gotta be honest, I think, I still think people are really hard on that, that episode five, to be honest. Cause I, go, I look back at that. It's a very, Again, it's a it's not like a very deep episode. It's but it's it's nice. It does ground things. Definitely sets things up, especially especially in retrospect. But seeing her again and that her being now his kind of uh, quill for Tatooine is 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 nice. And I think it's it's a good through line because now with her, you don't have to have you don't have to keep setting up new characters all the time. If you need to go back to Tatooine, you can just go. We'll have our, we'll have them go talk to. Her you know, Amy Sedaris's character or whatever. So again, which we got in the second episode, I'm going to ahead of myself, but you get what I'm saying. I think that she's a good through line for us to kind of set up the audience. And she's funny enough and charismatic enough. And that I think that people kind of can like her. Obviously the Filoni and Favreau like her because he wrote her right back into the series. So, and I believe episode five was written by, uh, Dave Filoni. So, you know, Favreau really was taken with Amy Sedaris's performance and character because he wrote her back right into it. So that was pretty cool. I I think she's an interesting character. I, I think that there's 
there's more to her than what we know. And again, I think it's because of her connections with everything and being on Moss Eisley. That's what makes it kind of cool, especially, again, the next episode. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it was great having her. And to be honest, I, I don't want to say redeem herself, but I think it was nice to her, for her to get a little bit of a redemption in retrospect with everything because of uh, the show and, and or people's complaints with the previous episode. And, and really quickly, too, I wanted to mention before, uh, the uh, with we're getting these episodes, right? And I thought it was very interesting, guys. And I'm, I'm not sure if we've already talked about this or not. I don't think we have. That it didn't restart chapter one. It keeps going chapter mm-hmm. eight. Uh-huh. And I thought yeah, that, that stood cool. out to me too a little bit. Yeah. Keeping that tradition of Star Wars, right? I mean, mm-hmm. with the saga films, we have one, two, three, four, you know, whatever. And now these are chapters. And I kind of hope that this might be a good way for them to introduce people to these new sagas and new things, whether it be films or, or whatever, that they have that idea of, of like chapters, you know, and we, and maybe the films will be episodes or whatever, like have like kind of, you know, differentiate it up a little bit and having those different kinds of things. So if all the TV series were like chapters like this, like whether it be Obi-Wan or whatever's in the future, like I'm down. So I, I like this idea of, of just kind of continuing the overall story instead of like, well, we're, you know, we, we're volume two now, episode one or whatever. So I, I like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely, with that too. yeah, I think that helps keep it more kind of just more streamlined. I mean, we all know it's season two, episode one, but, um, you know, you kind of keep it minimal within the episode itself um, so that, you know, when that title card comes up, it's not like, oh, season two, episode one or whatever, it's just chapter nine. And it, it, it really does feel like, you know, just a seamless continuation of the story. It's not like some other TV shows where, you know, they have a six month break and then you come back for the next season and it's like six months has passed or a year has passed or something like that. It's like, I mean, like the season finale last year definitely did feel like I mean, it had that kind of season finale feeling to it, right? Like, it felt like a climactic ending to sort of the the storylines that were building up over that season. But this feels like it's picking up right after that. It's not like season two is a completely different story. Um, Directly. Yeah. Which I think was really good, to be honest. I think that was, again, it makes it for the binge, the bingers. It it just makes it a a more compelling series, I think, to be honest. Uh, Because like it or not even though even though i'm actually so grateful we get this once a week i I love that it's not a bingeable show for just a netflix thing where they just throw it all out and then we just everyone consumes it i love anticipating a new episode with everyone every week and i have like you know i have a pizza night scheduled around it now and this is great i mean so but with all that said people still will binge the show you know and and it's i think that with tv going this this way it just it just feels like a, a more complete story. And I love that. I love it. The fact I love the fact that at least with this, we're we don't need we don't need time between like episodes or or seasons or whatever. Or I, I go back to the the Star Wars the Saga films. There's I feel like those things need more time between the films to kind of breathe and and there's better storytelling instead of, you know, instead of just doing it like or, or right, right after the pickup, right after the, the movies, you know, started or whatever or ended. And again, I know it's a, I want to bring in the last Jedi, but, but that, but in, with this series, it just fits. It's a better narrative to continue right, right up 
pick up right where you left off. And so, yeah. well, and I yeah. think, you know, it's because this, the show is still kind of smaller scale. We're just following the adventures of one character and his, you know, this isn't the Skywalker saga. The Din Jaren is not the main character of Star Wars. And so the stuff that he does and the adventures he goes on and the events that he's part of are not like shaping the fate of the galaxy. And so, you know, if you had a series like this where every episode Luke Skywalker was fighting Darth Vader or having a big battle for the fate of the universe, it would get repetitive or feel like, how is all this happening like every single week? Um, whereas with Mando, like, yeah, it, it just totally makes sense that you just, you know, you keep going on all these continuing adventures. There's not a lot of time in between them. Um, and that doesn't feel like it, you know, breaks the continuity or, or I don't know, make, makes it hard to believe the timeline or anything like that. So, um, but we've spent all this time just talking about the first few minutes of the episode and the, the setup and kind of where we're picking up with season two. So let's get to the meat and potatoes of the episode um, where, uh, so he finds out from Pelimoto, this city of Mos Pelgo, which is where the guy, I forget what the guy's name, or Gore Korath or something like that, that told him, um, that this Mandalorian he knew of was in Mos Pelgo. So Pelimoto helps him find where that is on the map. He heads out there, finds this dusty little town in the middle of nowhere. Uh, you see all these, you know, kind of weary, frightened villagers watching him as he's coming into town. Walks into the bar, obviously continuing with, you know, the Mandalorian feeling just very Western inspired. You know, this was totally like cowboy movie outsider walks into the town, goes to the bar and whatever. Um, and he talks to the bartender and he says, you know, I'm looking for a Mandalorian. And he says, well, you know, we don't get many visitors around here. Like, what what would he look like? And he says he wears armor like me. And he goes, oh, you mean the marshal? And again, at this point, I'm still thinking like, okay, well, regardless of whether we're meeting like actual Boba Fett or just Cobb Vanth, like this is probably going to be somebody that Mando is like tracking down for the whole episode. And it's going to be like a big reveal at the end or something. And he goes, oh, you mean the marshal? He's standing right over there. And you look, and sure enough, there's the guy standing right there in the doorway wearing Boba Fett's armor. <laughs> um, and he comes and sits down at the table, you know, pours up a couple of drinks and immediately takes his helmet off. Which I could already tell when he's standing in the doorway, like, okay, it's not Boba. It must be this Cobb Vanth yeah. guy because he's, like, tall and lanky and the armor doesn't fit him right. Um, but you can kind of just see Mando's reaction, even with the helmet on. Like, as soon as Cobb Vanth takes his helmet off, Mando's going, okay, this isn't the Mandalorian I'm looking for because he's not a Mandalorian. He just took his helmet off in front of me. Um, and he says, you know, I'm Cobb Vanth, the Mar Marshal of Mos Pelgo. Um... And I know there's enough to chew on just right here, but I'm going to keep going just a little bit and then we'll we'll pause and dissect all our thoughts. But, you know, Mando's like recognizing that he's not a real Mandalorian. He says, hey, that armor belongs to me because I'm a Mandalorian and that's part of our culture. Like, take it off. They're about to have a shootout right there in the bar. He's like, oh, we're going to do this in front of the kid. He's like, yeah, he's seen worse. Um, I love that line. <laughs> and as they're about to shoot each other, the ground starts shaking uh, they go outside, you see the ground like moving and rumbling and something's coming towards them. And I don't know if you guys remember this, but there's a skit in uh, the second Star Wars Robot Chicken special 
with a couple of crate dragons and they're like yeah. chilling in a little lagoon <laughs> pond on Tatooine and yeah. it's like a mother and a son and the son's like I want to go out and see the world and the mother's like no it's dangerous stay here and he's like no I'm going to go follow my dreams and he goes look out world here comes crate dragon and then it cuts to R2 uh, 3PO walking past his skeleton in the desert in the next scene but as I'm hearing like the screeching and seeing the ground rumbling I was sitting here watching it by myself and I go I, I shouted out loud I go look out world here comes crate dragon <laughs> um, and so of course the crate dragon comes through you don't see much of it because it's underground uh, and it pops up and eats a bantha and then uh, Cobb Vanth and you know Mando are just watching this thing come through the town and he goes you know what maybe we can work something out um, that was oh man like because as soon as you heard the ground shaking and, and saw something coming I got my hopes up I was like oh is it a crate dragon and then you look off and don't really see anything. I'm like, oh, maybe it's just like a dust storm or something. And then the ground starts moving. And I'm like, well, we haven't seen crate dragons move underground before, but I still think that's what it might be. Um, and again, this was cool because, I mean, obviously they didn't show much in the trailers, but also they don't really release like trailers for the individual episodes or like episode synopses ahead of time. And so I had no idea that this is where this was going. And once we found out that they were going to be dealing with a crate dragon, I was like, Man, Boba Fett armor, crate dragons, all this stuff right in the first episode. Let's freaking go. I know, man. It was just so exciting once he got to Mel's Pel Moss Pelgo and all this stuff was taking place. It was just wow, I was just geeking out so much. Just going back to when Cobb Van first first entered that cantina and you see the classic Boba Fett armor and boy, you should have seen the smile on my face seeing that. And I knew, like you said, Kyle, not not Boba Fett, because obviously we knew about the reports of Cobb Vanth possibly being in the season. And so when you see him, just, you know, it's not Boba Fett. <laughs> you just, the, the body type, the build, and just obviously that kind of red shirt he's wearing <laughs> with the armor over it. You know, Boba Fett uh, probably wouldn't be sporting the armor like that. But just seeing that armor again, it it just felt special to me. Because obviously, we weren't familiar with Mandalorian armor, the helmet design. But... There's just something special about seeing Boba Fett again, just the color scheme and seeing that big dent <laughs> in front of the helmet. It was just really cool to see that armor again, um, even though Boba Fett wasn't wearing it. But it was just amazing to see that on screen again. Uh, I was just geeking out over it. And then, too, just seeing, thinking how cool it is that they are. We heard the reports, but seeing it on screen, it makes making it official that they are taking a portion from the books and bringing it into live action which is really cool. And like I said before, probably one of the only few good things about the Aftermath books, in my opinion, were those interludes with Cobb Vanth and his the story that it set up for him. And then seeing them take that idea and bring it into live action was just awesome. And it just their character dynamic and chemistry, I felt throughout the whole episode was great. And you got it. You felt it right away once they were having that conversation with each other about to have a shootout. And it was just fantastic i just loved every bit about that sequence and then you hear the rumbling and you just i was wondering okay what's this going to be like you were saying and then when you started seeing something moving underground immediately you you think crate dragon because obviously that is kind of the big monster creature in tatooine that a lot of people there fear and know about but for a second i actually wonder could we actually be seeing a sarlacc kind of moot because it being underground 
And I'm not sure how big they are. I imagine. It's funny you say that. <laughs> but, but continue. But continue. Sorry. I yeah, to because I I know they're not as big as the crate dragon, but big enough to maybe cause that shaking and commotion in a small village like that. And being underground makes you think, for me anyway, more Sarlacc than crate. But um, crate dragon was more the likely. Uh, choice of what this monster was going to be and then just seeing it pop out this massive size and scale it was just incredible to see and knowing that the thrux of this episode was going to be Din Djarin and Cobb Van both with extremely cool Mandalorian armor going to be taking this creature down yeah just sign me up I'm ready <laughs> I was already excited for this episode and it was just delivering already in the first uh, 15 or 20 minutes or so. It was just really cool. And it, again, it just gets even better as it progresses with what else and what happens here. But just, I love this whole sequence in the episode. Uh, one of my favorites, because there's, there's a lot of great moments in this episode, but this one just stand, stood out to me as far as the introduction to Cobb Vance and just the presence of Boba Fett's armor and just how cool it was seeing it again. I was like, I'll just never forget that great feeling I had of seeing that iconic costume on in live action again. It was just great. So this is where I just love the show so much because one of the things I I've, I've always been critical of uh, with, with a, with a sequel trilogy anyway, was the fact that it's, it felt very isolated and, and, and where I, I really appreciate and love the fact they're trying to incorporate all these different things of Canon together and how hard that would be um, just didn't always feel connected, right? And, and there's always different reasons for it. But regardless, we know that Filoni tried to do as much as he could with Rebels and and with Clone Wars. He did, he did that even before when everything wasn't canon. Yeah. He would try to incorporate as much as he could into that series. And I don't know exactly – and this, this is a whole podcast in and of itself, but – bear with me here but what i love and appreciate is the fact that we've get cob man even though it's from an author who i do not like and i in whatever and i think i think that aftermath trilogy is not good um and i'll i never connected with the cob van character in the books because he's not written great he's just fine because you know he's wearing boba fett's armor basically all that aside, I really appreciated the fact that they, and again, this is not Dave Filoni. This was John Favreau who wrote this. So whatever happened, they what they were working on, they didn't have to do that. Mm -hmm. and if, if you look at what they did with Ahsoka and with the opening of the Ahsoka book, they rewrote a lot of that. And again, I think that's more of just a creative decision and, and, and whatever. And we've talked a little bit about that in the show, how you can interpret that in different ways. And, and, and again, it doesn't really matter. And that's, that's what I said back, back then was that all it matters is that Ahsoka faced Darth Maul in the Clone Wars. How and exactly why the details, you can kind of fidget around that stuff. And I think this kind of goes in the same vein. And that with Cobb Van, we, you know, they explain the origin Obviously, it's not verbatim with the book. Now, there's a lot of different reasons, and, and people have taken different, you know, I think, opinions on this. The best one is actually, I forgot what the YouTube channel was called, but if you just look up Cobb Banth uh, and, you know, look up uh, whatever on, you know, connection for the book to TV, whatever, 
you'll find a, a, a YouTuber that actually explain why they might have be a little bit different. And it was just about how Cobb Vanth might be keeping something away purposely from the Mandalorian, which I thought was very interesting. And so I'm like, huh? So, but I also thought to myself, it doesn't really matter completely because there is a lot of similar elements from that. And again, taking the adage line of from a certain point of view, you know, it's, this is what happened. So I think to me and the way I, at least for me, and some people are, if you're looking for exact verbatim details, I'm sorry, as someone who, and Tim can attest to this, when you're dealing with continuity, it's never going to be perfect. Yeah. And there's always going to be contradictions always because we are imperfect people. So you cannot expect verbatim every little thing. So for me, as long as it gets most of it in line, that's all we can ask for. And I think that to me is what, but what I appreciate so much about this is the fact that they actually went with it and they kept a good chunk of it, regardless if it, if they purposely didn't explain the whole thing or they altered a little bit, it doesn't really matter because does that nullify everything in Aftermath and that character? And what? No, it only enhances the character from Aftermath and the fact that it's in the Mandalorian. It, it's a bigger, it, he's a bigger deal now. And I think, again, taking all those aspects in this character specifically and using that is using the continuity, you know, that we have and then utilizing these characters. That's a big deal. And I think that the fact that Favreau did that, and again, I, he, I don't know if he had to or, or whatever, but it's Favreau. He's a pretty powerful guy. I don't think if he, if he wanted to, to alter that, he could have. Oh, but totally. He, I mean, I could totally see where it was Dave Filoni or the story group telling him, hey, we got a character already like that. You could use him. You go, eh, don't really like it. We'll do our own thing. I agree. He totally could have done that. But yeah, the fact that he didn't, it was, it's great. And, and But think about this. They now, they used it to their advantage. And they yeah. got... Timothy Oliphant and and played a great character. So I, 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 to me, regardless if it's like again, if it's a loose canon, and I I'm, I can understand the loose canon perspective from from Lucasfilm because you can't be beholden to every single minor detail of every single story from every single medium. But if you get eighty percent of it or seventy percent of it and you put it in, it it's fine. I can I can deal with that. And I think this is a great example of. It, aftermath was he was introduced in aftermath it doesn't take away from anything in aftermath and you can still kind of retcon your you can do your own retcon and do well this happened or that happened or whatever and still make it work either way the main points from aftermath still remain he has boba fett's mandalorian armor and that's like arguably the most important aspect of that character from aftermath anyway so you get what i'm saying it's yeah. still all there good yeah no, I'm just going to say, too, where I just think it's kind of important for us as fans to remember that, too, where as much as, you know, the books, the comics and the games are all considered to be in the main canon now, um, we still got to remember that live action Star Wars, TV or movie Star Wars kind of trumps all, where if they yeah. are going to pull anything from the books, comics or video games, we should still kind of prepare ourselves for changes. And like you said, Paul, for things not to match up 100 percent all the time. And some, as much as we would like to think that where everything is one kind of completely centered universe where everything fits in together nicely when you got all this stuff in the different mediums, that's not always going to be the case. I just think mm -hmm. we kind of got to remember that sometimes as fans. We're not to be 
too nitpicky or disappointed when we see something in a movie or a TV show that is taking some material from a different medium and it's not lining up perfectly, but yet the core essence of the character or the story that they're taking from is still there. And I mm-hmm. think with now Cobb Vanth and what you mentioned briefly with Ahsoka facing Darth Maul and just how vastly different that was from the novel, you still kind of got to treat those stuff in the books and comics maybe a little bit as legends. But I think you said the perfect word. A certain point of view is the way you got to look at it when things don't exactly match up when live action Star Wars or animated Star Wars is doing things a little bit differently. And that is kind of the end all the end all be all for what is kind of in the official canon. So what sticks there or what's in there is what's going to stick out the most for the adaptions they're taking from. But it's just kind of something that looks to be a trend now where they are taking things from a a comic or a book. Mm -hmm and putting it in a TV show or movie, things are going to be a little different. So I think that's just something that we're going to have to come to expect now when they ever do decide to do that with certain stories and characters. Right. But I think it it, it seems like most people get that though. Like from, at least from interactions I've seen online and stuff, like people who are fans of the aftermath books and were like excited to see Cobb Vanth mostly just seemed excited a, that the character made the jump to live action and b that so much of his story from the books was kept intact, even if it wasn't a hundred percent, as opposed to like nitpicking over the stuff that was changed or was different. And that's a good point. But I just want to say in general, I like, I like the fact of what they're doing. They're really, I just, I'm I'm actually encouraged and and commending Lucasfilm and the writers and everyone's respecting the canon being like, you know what? Fans really do care about this stuff. And again they can use it to their advantage that's the whole point of continuity it's not just to have you know this cohesive universe it's because you have these more things to play with and you can kind of expand on them and make it more of an enriched universe and might as well and so that to me is what the advantage of having a continuity in the first place or at least a close-knit continuity Mm -hmm. so um and talking about the crate dragon it's so funny you said starlight pit because I never once thought when when that, which by the way, I'm not sure if this was purposeful from John Favreau, but I totally got Tremor vibes from that whole opening or that whole scene when like the Kray Dragons going underneath in the sand and it's busting up from the from the ground. I totally thought Tremors, especially from the ground perspective when like they're like looking at go by as they just like what, oh my god! If you haven't seen Tremors, Tremors is a phenomenal, phenomenal '80s like quasi comedy horror movie just only watch the first one don't watch the other ones because yeah but if you know if you know tremors you know exactly what i'm talking about it, it was awesome but it's funny you say sarlacc pit because when that part happened i never once thought crate dragon i was like what is that and i'm like oh is that a sarlacc pit <laughs> i thought it was a moving sarlacc pit uh, because, which would be cool to see yeah well because of the because i thought I think a Kree dragon would attack from the above. Like it would be a, a creature just not going underneath. So the fact that, because I thought the tremor vibes, I immediately thought, oh, they treating the Sarlacc pits like the tremors. So I legitimately, and because in tremors are worms, right? So I immediately thought, oh, dude, they're totally doing a Sarlacc pit tremors thing. That's nuts. And then all of a sudden that thing came out with Kree dragon. And I'm like, what the? And then they go, Crate Dragon. I went, oh, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> and now I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, you know, that, that, uh, that, uh, 
that gif of the of the kid going whoa that's literally what happened to me when they said crit dragon i went i didn't even think about it so it was it was really that was awesome that was that's when i knew i'm like okay i mean that's when i knew i mean i was already in but I'm, I'm like oh man this is this is gonna be ridiculous in a good way so i got really excited so yeah that was that was pretty nuts that was pretty nuts. Yeah, and then and then we go from there. Uh, you know, Cobb Van says, "Okay, you know, help me take that take this thing down, and I'll give you the armor back, and we don't have to fight for it." Um, so they team up, they take off on their speeders and head across the desert. And we see Cobb Vanth riding on Anakin's old pod racer engine <laughs> converted into a like land speeder. How cool um, was that? Phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, this episode was just chock full of Easter eggs. I was like, I couldn't believe we were seeing that Easter again. Egg. Yeah, stuff that made sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and but then we see his backstory, and you know, see this flashback as he's telling Mando, uh, kind of the backstory of Mos Pelgo, and you, we see them watching a hologram of the second Death Star exploding, and you know, everybody celebrating there in the bar. But immediately, this mining collective moves in and starts killing people and he says you know they took over and turned Mos Pelgo into a slave camp and he just happened to grab a random container off of one of their speeders hoping that there was like something valuable or some supplies in it or something and just headed off into the desert uh, and he got rescued by some Jawas they found out that his container was full of these rare crystals and he was able to use that to trade for the Boba Fett armor that the Jawas had happened to scavenge. Were those from uh, Knights of the Old Republic? The Jawas? No, 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 the crystals. Like, oh, 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 no, 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 not those specific ones. Because they're, they're called like silicax crystals or something. I've never heard yeah. of those before. Okay, um, I thought I thought that might have been a, a Knights of the Old Republic reference. No, there, there were definitely some Knights of the Old Republic references in this episode, and we'll get to that. My inner KOTOR fan was very happy by the end of this episode. <laughs> um, but so he gets the Boba Fett armor. He goes back to moss pelgo and just clears out all the the mining guys that have taken over you see him just shooting them in the bar uh and then some of them escape and they get in their land speeder and take off and he's got like an iron man tank missile moment where you know the speeder's yeah. taken off into the distance <laughs> he lowers the little viewfinder on the helmet and locks onto him and fires the missile out of the jetpack and it blows him up so again even though it's not boba fett like it was just so cool seeing boba fett's armor in action mm -hmm. like that just real quick too i just want to say how i like how we're getting more flashbacks in Star Wars live action now. I mean, starting with the last Jedi flashbacks and the flashback we got of well, the Leia training and the Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> because it was a good scene, that's why. Yes. Oh. But anyway, and then getting this flashback of Cobb Vance, I just like how potentially that could set up for other future uses of flashbacks. Because I'm thinking if we get to see more of Boba Fett in the season or later on in the series where we get a flashback of him coming out of the Sarlacc pit and how he lost his armor or setting up for stuff maybe in the Kenobi series where we get oh. flashbacks with Obi-Wan and Anakin during the Clone Wars, just oh. stuff like that. You might get, dude, by the way, if they if they have a scene of him coming out of the Sarlacc pit and the Sarlacc pit makes a, an appearance in this season, you're going to hear a squeal all the way from Seattle, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> and Kyle. I just got to say that right now. Oh, just another thing to look forward to once we see Boba Fett again. <laughs> that so flashback like, would blow my mind. Yeah, that's immediately what I thought of first when I saw that uh, flashback for Cobb Van and how they could use this for Boba Fett as well. And I would love the heck out of that. So just I'm enjoying the usage of flashbacks that we've been getting lately in Star Wars. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, this one in particular, I, I loved the way that this whole scene played out and just showed, you know, the backstory of this town and how Cobb Vanth came by the armor and everything. And pretty quickly, he went from a character that I didn't really much care about. I mean, I, I still haven't read all the way through the first Aftermath book. Um, and so well, I only know about... Well, yeah, see, that's the problem. You give me crap for not reading Star Wars books, but then you tell me not to read Star Wars books. Get me the right ones. So, <laughs> the bad ones. Um, but yeah, so I mean, all I know about... Co or all I knew about Cobb Vanth coming into this was just from you guys, you know, knowing that he was in those excerpts in the Aftermath novels. And the idea of some random guy who's like a marshal of some town going around wearing Boba Fett's armor didn't sound particularly appealing to me as someone who hadn't read that story. So I was like, okay, sure, whatever. Like, it'll be cool to see the Boba armor again, but I'm not particularly excited for this character. Um, but, I mean, he endeared himself pretty quickly. I mean, by the time we see his, his flashback story and, and all that, I was like, okay, I think I like this guy. Um, and that feeling just continued to grow more and more over the course of the episode. So um, it was really cool to see just that backstory and that connection between them start to grow. Um, and then, you know, they're continuing through the desert and before they get to the crate Dragon, um, they're going through this canyon and those, uh, what are those dogs called? They're like ak ax or something like that. Those like... Sand people dogs. Yeah, the, the, repti the reptilian dogs that the sand people have start coming out of the rocks and surrounding them and oh you think they're in danger and they pull their guns out um and then mando puts his gun away and starts like calling out in like tuscan raider calls um and then like goes up to the dogs and starts petting them and stuff and then the sand people come out um oh and we we had seen a brief scene earlier i think when mando was traveling to mos pelgo by himself there's a brief little uh, shot of him like stopping overnight and talking with some sand people, which we've seen before in the last Tatooine episode where uh, he's with, um, gosh, what's the guy's name? Like the young bounty hunter. Um, and they get stopped by a couple of Tusken Raiders and which, Mando like but, communicates with them and trades away the guy's binoculars and stuff. So, which, by the way, I think it's like, again, people, I got into an argument with someone online about how, you know, it doesn't further the story. I don't like it. And, and I'm just like, dude, you don't know what's going to further the story until you see everything. And I think this is a great example because the, one of the things that I thought was weird about episode five of, of Mandalorian or chapter five, I should say, is the kind of the awkwardness of the sand person and how he meets up with them. And it's just kind of it's just kind of a weird uh, that's one of the weirder things of that episode. I think I like it, but it just kind of wasn't done. I think the greatest. But either way, that's a pivotal point because look what we have here uh -huh. in this episode and how important. And I think actually it turns out because even though it's a little awkward, it prepared me for that the way his way he communicates and everything to the sand people to that. Now I I've already accepted it and I'm like, Oh yeah, this is legit. And it's 100%. If I would have got this before, if I didn't have that already and they establish it only in this episode, it'd be a little bit forced at this point. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it definitely, like, I don't know if John Favreau was already had already had ideas for this episode in mind when he wrote chapter five, but it right. definitely did a good job of like building on elements introduced in that episode. Um, and yeah, like you said, I mean, I think it still would have played out fine if you would introduce that element in this one, if it was the first time we saw him interact with Tusken Raiders. But I think it building off of chapter five just helped to even just build more continuity within the series too. 
Um, and we'll talk about that more with the next episode as well, because both of these episodes so far have called back to episodes from last season that I didn't necessarily think we would like pick up threads from again. Um, and so I like that it's starting to uh, like each episode still feels like it's good own like standalone story, but it's also starting to kind of build on itself and, and have some connective tissue and some not necessarily like longer story arcs, but just things that connect back to stuff we've seen before and you know I, I like seeing those connections so um yeah this was really cool and so of course yeah so so he's able to communicate with the tuscan raiders and he says they want to kill the the crate dragon too um and so they lead them to you know this big cave where the crate dragon is uh and he says you know he talks about how the tuscans have been studying it for generations and they know its digestive patterns and stuff and you know they like sacrifice banthas to it to keep it fed so that it'll sleep longer and not come out and uh, you know, terrorize their villages and stuff. So we see one of the Tusken Raiders bring a bantha like to the mouth of the cave and then run away and the, the crate dragon comes out and eats the Tusken Raider instead of the bantha. Um, and he says, you know, they might be open to some fresh ideas. So they start coming up with a plan to, you know, try to lure it out. And um, they end up... Uh, Oh, this is a scene where he's got, like, you know, they've got the little, like, snake bones or whatever that's representing the crate dragon, and they got the little rocks scattered around that's them, and he's like, yeah, that's not going to be enough of us. They toss some more in there, and it's like, uh, he's like, oh, where are they going to get the reinforcements from? And he goes, oh, I, I volunteered your village. Um, and I think even before that, there's the scene where they're, like, camped out for the night, and they're they're passing the, the drink around or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, some kind of ceremonial Tuscan thing, and they give it to Cobb Vanth, and he's like, oh, I don't want to drink this, it stinks. And, um, you know, of course, he's got trust issues with the Tuscans because they've attacked Mos Pelgo before. And so he ends up kind of getting a fight with them, and uh, Mando has to, I mean, not like a physical fight, but, you know, they, they're button heads, and Mando's got to settle them both down and says, uh, you know, basically tells both Cobb Vanth and the Tuscans that if we don't work together, like the Creek Dragon's going to kill all of us. So you guys need to knock it off and we don't have time to be, fi to be fighting amongst ourselves. So, um, yeah, I mean, this was, you know, you, we get to see a lot of cool aspects of Mando's character in this episode as well. Like just seeing him be a leader, seeing him, uh, again, have like understanding and I don't know if you'd say compassion, I guess like maybe you can see, you know, you know, compassion and understanding for the sand people that most other people don't have. They just assume that these savages out in the desert that, you know, kill people and he's the one that's understands them better and is willing to kind of give them a chance and is like, hey, these are people too. And if we can all work together, we might actually, you know, find some common ground and be able to achieve something here. So that was really cool to see. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite things about this episode and what it did is just how it took something so familiar to Star Wars fans like the Tusken Raiders, but yet showed them in a totally different light. That was just so refreshing to see. I just really enjoyed it. Just showing more to, you know, that they're not just savages that attack uh, villagers and kind of showing from their perspective how they live their lives and what they have to go through and how they see the kind of common folk on Tatooine. So it just, I think, struck a nice balance of showing the different sides of the citizens we're used to on Tatooine and the Tusken Raiders side of things that we're not so used to seeing all the time and just how it showed them more in a positive light and as protagonists in this episode, which was really, really cool to see. I just love that dynamic and just getting more into the Tusken Raider culture a little bit too. So 
I love that aspect and showing how Din Djarin is pretty familiar with the Tuscans and how they live their lives. Obviously, at first, like you guys mentioned in episode five, the gunslinger last season, how he was able to communicate them just with through uh, hand signs. And then in this episode, we obviously see it's more than that, where he can communicate with them uh, vocally and speak their language, uh, just showing how much he is kind of engrossed in their culture, but obviously not actually being a Tuscan raider, which made him the perfect mediator between them and Cobb Vath and the villagers of Mos Pelgo. So it was just really cool to see the side of the Tuscans. And another one of my favorite shots here is I'm jumping a little bit ahead of myself, but after they kind of talk to the villagers and let them know their plan and what they're going to have to do. And then you see the shot of the Tuscans making their way till the, to the village in, in this caravan of Banthas and the Tuscan Raiders following them. Uh, it was just a cool sight to see all those Tuscans making their way to this village on their Banthas. So, mm-hmm. And again, riding just, single file to hide their numbers. Yep, yep, <laughs> exactly. Oh, snap. I didn't think about that. Oh, man. <laughs> see, they leave no detail unnoticed, man. Mm-hmm. That's why... Uh, Dave Floney and John Favreau are the best, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just great. There's, there's, you know, not the, to me. I want to get to more of the the the, the crux of this episode, which we're we're getting to. Um, but I, I will say that seeing the Sand People in this light again, like echo what you said, Tim, was really nice, and to show that they're not just these vicious savages. And to be honest, it just it kind of shows you a different perspective of of them and it honestly it enhances looking if you look at this episode it makes that slaughtering of them by anakin that much more brutal because uh-huh. even then like when anakin destroys all the sand people i'm like well they're kind of like all like they're kind of animals right i mean like i mean yeah yeah i mean even like especially when he says like i killed them all like not just the men but the women and the children yeah. too it's like oh that's kind of messed up but again yeah we've only ever really seen them in like a villainous light before like not as main villains but you know they've always been like a threat to the heroes um and i like and it kind of makes me think now too like about the whole situation with the sand people and shmi skywalker i mean obviously the whole village suffered but maybe it just was like a handful of tuscans that decided to kidnap her and torture her that way where it wasn't not all the uh, i agree tuscan raiders yeah. in that camp were like evil and tortured shmi but it was like maybe a handful yeah. kind of went rogue or they hit her in secret or something to that effect but yet the whole village had to suffer because of a a few Tuscans who did show that more savage side that most of the people in Tatooine know about. But yeah, I'm, I'm just something to that. think about maybe in a different light when you see this episode, how there are some good Tuscans. Um, uh, even, I don't want to say some, but like I said, we just don't understand how they live their lives and how they are. We just have that, or used to have that kind of the singular view of them and getting episodes like this is so refreshing. And even going back to, uh, I know it's not canon anymore, but the Kenobi book, which kind of had some similar aspects of the Tuscans um, shown in that we got in this episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I even thought about to myself too, where this is a story I would kind of expect to see in the Kenobi series <laughs> where Obi-Wan is kind of the one helping a village and bridging, uh, building bridges between the sand people and the villagers of Tatooine and Obi-Wan would be that meteor. So uh, it's a great story to get, but um, and it worked fine with the Mandalorian as well, but it does seem, or it did seem more like a potential story idea we would have gotten in Kenobi, but um, just means we'll get something totally different in that series. But it's still a story I'm glad we're getting in live action Star Wars because it just played out so beautifully in this one. 
Yeah, and you, you talk about the- like the just the the Tuscans, you know, what they did to Shmi and like some of the bad stuff we have seen them do. And I like how Mando actually addressed that too when he's talking to the villagers and trying to convince them to work with the Tuscan Raiders and he says, you know, look, I know they're like yes, they're brutal. Like yes, they're raiders. Um, and because even Cobb Vanth said that, like, the, the Sand People had attacked Mos Pelgo before and, like, killed, you know, six of the people, and then he killed twice as many Tuscans. And, um, but I'm sure they probably see it as, like, these settlers, like, encroaching on their land and stuff. And so, but man, so Mando's not saying, like, hey, they're totally in the right. He's like, I know they've done stuff to you guys, too. Like, he's basically saying, you know, both sides have faults, like, nobody's perfect, but they're people just like you. And, they know the terrain better than we do. They know the crate dragon better than we do. And if we can put aside our differences for a second, uh, you know, not again, not necessarily resolve them. Like he's saying, hey, like you guys are right to have beef with these guys. But if we can put that aside for a second and work together, like it's going to be mutually beneficial for all of us. Yeah. Well, I, I think for me is we're talking about the, the, the Tuscan Raiders themselves. You know, there's so many different ways you can tell these stories with the Sand People as allies, as indifferent, as vicious, brutal. That's kind of the, I think, honestly, now, Tim, one of the more versatile things about they became more versatile now because of the Mandalorian. Um, yeah. And now, again, I haven't read every single story from the and I'm not sure exactly or from EU or what their plans were from like in the Clone Wars. Because Remember that episode where I think Boba Fett and Cad Bane were going to be hunting um sand people which i just realized by the way we might we might get that now because if boba fett is well we'll talk about that in a minute i guess oh wait but um but anyway i guess what i'm trying to say is i'm not sure exactly where how what 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 was always the intent with the sand people but now either way you can still tell different kinds of stories and i wouldn't be surprised if 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 Kenobi and the Sand People are definitely, in fact, I would, I would say bet on the, I would, I would almost bet the house on the fact we're going to see Sand People in both a allied and a and a enemy uh, light in the Obi Wan series. I I think it's a yeah. Oh yeah, movie. I wouldn't doubt it. I just think so. that story idea of kind of having villagers of a town team up with the Sand People and work together to defeat a common enemy. Uh, that story is done That's now. True. Yes, that that, that is true. Yeah, yeah. I think being an ally in some way, that's what I thought you were saying. But yeah, that, that I definitely think, I think they'll definitely be an ally in some sort at some point in that Kenobi series. Yeah, most likely. Um, and I mean, I, again, this is obviously like even this type of story of Mando having to work together with a bunch of villagers to take down a big enemy. Like it's kind of reminiscent of um, episode four from last season. And so I wouldn't be surprised if even in the Kenobi series we see something that's maybe kind of similar to this with him yeah. having to convince some people to work with some Tusken Raiders, but in a different setting, in a different context, with a different type of enemy or something like that, um, and still make it feel kind of familiar but fresh at the same time. I mean, I feel like they've already kind of done that with even both of these first two episodes of the season. It's sort of story beats and like character archetypes and and monsters and stuff that we've seen before in other movies and TV shows and stories, but still managing to um, kind of put its own Mando spin on it. Um, but yeah, so, you know, the, the Tusken Raiders show up, they team up with the villagers, they get prepped and ready to head out, load up with all their explosives. We see the Banthas with these big giant, like, 
Game of Thrones scorpion crossbow looking yeah. things on their backs. Um, so I was like, oh man, it's about to go down with this crate dragon. Like I, I wasn't exactly sure what they were going to do to try to take it out. But when I saw Banthas with crossbows on their backs showing up, I was like, well, wasn't expecting that. So uh, this is going to be fun. Um, so their whole big caravan party heads out. They go back to the mouth of the cave where the crate dragon's at. Um, and then, like I said, they pulled this straight out of KOTOR where they're like, okay, we're going to use a Bantha as bait to lure it out. Actually, I guess that was the first time. They didn't use a Bantha the second time. The guys just went up to the cave and yelled at it. Um, but when you, when you hunt the crate Dragon in KOTOR, you have to use a Bantha as bait to lure it out of the cave. But then they, like, dug trenches in the sand and buried all these mining charges. And they're like, okay, so it's only... You know, it's obviously got this thick, tough hide that's covering all of it, and it's only vulnerable from underneath, like its belly. And so we got to draw it out of the cave, get it on top of these mining charges, and then we're going to blow it up from underneath. And again, that's exactly what you do in KOTOR. Um, so I was already giddy thinking, like, oh, man, they took this right out of the game. Um, but, you know, again, just cool to see them working together, planning these charges. The Tusken Raiders go up. They do their war cry or whatever the... Uh, crate dragon comes out of the cave and i didn't even notice this like the first couple times i watched the episode but the whole like the aspect ratio of it yeah is in like that widescreen yep. letterbox format and then as the crate dragon's coming out it expands to fill up the whole screen almost as if like if this was a movie like it would have been the one scene that was shot with imax cameras yeah. um <laughs> not the same thing yeah so i mean it's weird because obviously like i noticed that it narrows at the end but it also starts the episode like that, and I didn't notice that it had, that it had expanded at some point. Um, I just remember watching it sometime during this battle scene and thinking, like, wait, has the screen been full all the way up to the top the whole time? Um, and it took me a couple times watching it to catch that part where it expands as the crate Dragon is coming out of the cave, and then... Um, then they just start unloading on it. You, you know, they're firing the crossbows, they're shooting blasters, they're chucking the explosive charges... Um, and at first, I think the the crate dragon either eats like a bantha or just one of the sand people or something, and starts going back into the cave. Um, and then you know, it's like they gotta keep hitting it to basically just make it mad so that it comes out after them. And so that's when they start chucking like the explosives at it, and it comes back out. Um, and they've got like these you know harpoons basically that they're firing from the crossbows that are stuck in it with these big ropes, and the sand people are trying to pull it out. Um, and they get it like inching farther and farther out and then it kind of like rears up and it's almost to where they want to get it to and it starts just like spitting acid all over everybody which I was absolutely not expecting and honestly I was like I kind of could have done without that it was kind of gross but it was also um, just kind of a fun unexpected element to it uh, you know obviously this, like I said for me this had shades of KOTOR written all over it but it's also you know, we've seen this in a lot of movies where they're hunting a big monster or creature or something like that. And, uh, you know, this was just one more kind of unexpected element of it, uh, you know, just being able to take out everybody with its, uh, its acid vomit or whatever that was. <laughs> um, but right after it does that, then they've got it far enough out of the cave that they blow the charges. Uh, it sinks into the sand and they're like, did they get it? You know, they're like, did we get it? And of course, us watching it, we're like, no, you definitely did not get it. This is not over yet. And then it busts out of the top of the mountain, 
uh, up above the cave and is just like spitting more acid on everybody from up there. And I think that's probably the main reason that why they gave it like the acid spray. They're like, oh, okay, we wanted to like bust out of the top of the mountain, but then you need some sense of like urgency, right? Like it can still hit them from up there, which is why Mando and Cobb Vanth have to go up there and engage it. Um, like obviously they want to hunt it and take it down. So it's like, if it was up at the top of the mountain, that would be a problem. But if it can't hit them from up there either, they could just kind of sit there and wait. Um, so I think they had to give it some kind of ranged attack to add some urgency to it. So of course we see the two guys in the Mandalorian armor suit up with their jetpacks and take off. And this was my favorite shot of the episode when you just see the two of them flying through the air. And I'm like, I'm just sitting there going, Man, what a time to be alive. Like, we're watching two Mandalorians <laughs> on jetpacks flanked by an army of, of Tusken Raiders with crossbow banthas, and they're flying through the air up to the top of a mountain to fight a crate dragon. Like, what is even going on right now? Um, this is the kind of just Star Wars fan service that you only expect from, like, video games or, you know, a comic book or something like that. Um, and really, even I... I wouldn't expect to see this level of stuff like in the movies, but this is something they that they can do when you have a TV series like The Mandalorian and you've got a couple of diehard Star Wars fans like John Favreau and Dave Filoni working on this. So I was just loving it, man. Um, and then, yeah. oh yeah, go this, ahead. No, it's just this battle sequence was incredible, and as great as the production was in the first season of The Mandalorian, feeling like a Star Wars movie. This one, I think, just upped its scale and game even more so with this entire sequence. Just yeah. with how visually great the Crate Dragon looked and just having it going against this group of people of Tusken Raiders and villagers was just awesome to see because it was a different type of monster battle that we haven't seen really in Star Wars. Obviously, we've seen monsters in Star Wars, the Rancor, the arena battle with the Ackley, Nexu, and Reek. And we've seen those type of battles with monsters, but not quite with this many people involved trying to take down this gigantic monster that is probably the biggest we've seen in Star Wars, and it's on a TV show, not in a movie. (laughs) It was just incredible what they were able to do in this sequence and the action that we got here. And we knew, obviously, at the start of this battle, we see Cobb Vanth and Din Djarin kind of to be the second wave of the the battle. They weren't involved with it right away. Um, they had to wait. One of them was the trigger man for the detonators that they had to set off. But you knew they were going to join the fray eventually in this battle. And it was the anticipation was building up because throughout the course of most of this episode, besides when he was first introduced, Cobb Vanth did not wear the Boba Fett helmet too much. And I just kept thinking, man, he's about to go into battle and he should be wearing it by now. But Boy, was it a great payoff once they both about to go or they're both about to go into battle against the Krayt Dragon and he puts on that helmet. And like you said, Kyle, man, what a sight to behold and just as a Star Wars fan to have the socks knocked off of me just watching it, man. It, it was just really cool visually to see those two Mandalorian armor and one of them being the most iconic one of them all, Boba Fett's. And yeah, it would have been just a bit cooler if it was actually Boba Fett in there, but Cobb Vanth, as you mentioned earlier, has kind of proven himself to be a really likable character at this point through the episode. That was just cool to see both him and Din Djarin team up in their awesome, cool-looking Mandalorian armor 
with their jetpack just flying around shooting at a Kray Dragon. It was just, man, I was losing my mind with mm-hmm. excitement watching it. It was just incredible. Again, I just don't kind of want to beat a dead horse here, but I just cannot stress enough just how cool it is seeing Boba Fett's armor in live action again. It was just, I mean, it would have been amazing enough to see two characters in Mandalorian armor fighting a crate dragon. But the fact that one of them is wearing Boba Fett's armor, it just adds to why I, I was just geeking out so much about this battle sequence. It was incredible. It was just the perfect way to kick off a season and just at the same time, remind you how great the show is, but also show that we haven't seen anything yet in the mm-hmm. first season, how the scale is just getting so much bigger in the second season. And they showed us that right off the bat in this yeah. first episode of season two with this amazing battle sequence. I was just, my mouth was on the floor <laughs> during this whole season. Yeah. I just couldn't believe what I was watching. It was, it's kind of one of those things where it, it's a game changer. And if, even though the Mandalorian season one was a game changer, it really shows you Star Wars's um, again versatility of being a big and small screen, and how technology is caught up enough to where this stuff can look as good on TV. Mm-hmm. And it was really mind blowing that we got this epic, epic fight scene at the very end of a Star Wars TV show of a crate dragon. And I want to, I definitely have a little something to say about the crate dragon and, and kind of in general, I think the last couple episodes, um, are we, are we going to do last, uh, last thoughts a little bit kind of overall? Oh yeah. Point? I mean, we, we haven't quite, I know you stepped away for a second. We haven't quite got to like the end of the episode yet. I, I kind of, well, this is okay, okay. All right, cool, cool. All right. So, so anyway, um, I, and again, I'll just kind of paraphrase cause I have a little, I'll have a little more to say at the kind of the overall thoughts. Um, this is no, this is endings incredible. And it was something that I just was blown away by the, just the, how they're able to pull it off. Now, again, the, the scope is, is big for a TV show, but it's not quite super epic because I would say super epic just only because of just, you know, there was only a few extras there. It's just, again, everything was towards this crate dragon. It was just, but it still was amazing. And it's not quite theater level yet, but it's not too far off either. And, but like, yeah, it was still incredible. And I think it was on par with theater, at least as far as the special effects with the, with the Kray Dragon itself, which was just phenomenal looking. And, um, it was, yeah, seeing all that was just insane. And seeing a crate dragon, and, and we, you talked about the uh, the acid. I had thought it was a puking acid, and that's why I said, you know, more puke deaths, please. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I I thought that was awesome. I, one of the things I think that I think Star Wars is is really great at is sometimes it surprises you in things that you weren't you weren't expecting, and it, it's one of those. It's it's kind of one of those things you weren't expecting. Uh, a cray dragon to, to, to puke acid it kind of again but one of the cool ideas about that is that it's kind of like a dragon but not really so i, I like that so it's kind of a play off a, uh, a mythical dragon uh, you know that we know but it's a star wars version again i love that idea it kind of takes that i again it feels very george lucas to me whether or not he actually came up with that idea it feels like that came from george it feels like a georgism 
if you will. And if it feels like a Georgism to me, that means it's Star Wars. And so what I'm trying to say is that it felt so Star Wars. It, the, I just can't believe how much the Mandalorian has just given me this comfort, this, this almost like a comfort food, if you will, of, of Star Wars. And it's, it, it, I'm just so grateful for it. And this ending of this episode and this battle scene and seeing a Kray dragon in action was just with, again, with basically with, with two Mandalorians and, and Boba Fett or one, one of them being Boba Fett is just <laughs> nuts. So yeah, I, I've got a lot to say, I think overall in the episode and kind of <clears throat> themes and where it could go. But I, I want to talk more about that at that point, but yeah, this, this is endings an all timer and it, it is maybe one of the best, let's be real. It could be one of the best, any best, any things of, of, science fiction tv ever to be quite honest i mean yeah what looks as good as that, Game of that. Thrones? I mean, <laughs> well yeah no, no no and that's what i was thinking if you're talking just visuals on tv like exactly yeah. i i well let me put it this way it was so good that it didn't even you know how like you sometimes will watch like a tv show or something that is typically kind of low budget and when it like impresses you, like it stands out, you know, you think like, wow, this is really good special effects for a TV show. And that's kind of what I thought, like in Mandalorian season one, or, you know, even just watching the trailers and you see shots of the Razor Crest flying through space. And it's like, man, this looks really good for a TV show. Like, for, you know, for Star Wars on TV, like this looks pretty good compared to the movies. Um, like that thought never even really crossed my mind this episode. Like it just felt like Star Wars and it looked like Star Wars and it looked like big screen Star Wars, and especially this fight against the Krayt Dragon when it comes out and you're seeing, you know, it's full. I mean, we never really see its full body, but, um, you know, its whole head and neck and everything, when it's kind of fully revealed when the screen stretches out. Like, it was definitely, I would say, probably on par with, like, the dragons from Game of Thrones, which are probably some of the most realistic looking CGI creatures we've ever seen on TV. Um, and again, it didn't like I. I was so just engrossed in the story, I didn't even stop to think, "Oh wow, that looks you know that's a really good effect for a TV series." Like it just looked like what we expect from Star Wars and from the Star Wars movies. And so, you know, I it, that thought didn't really kind of sink until afterwards. I was like, "Dang!" Not only did we see a crate dragon in live action, but it looked freaking amazing too. So, um, and I also loved the design of it, how it was kind of a a mishmash of like things that we've seen before because we've seen crate dragons in the eu like not just in kotor but i know they've been in some other stories and stuff too and it's always at least in kotor it's almost more of like a big like komodo dragon looking thing um mm -hmm. where it's got like four arms and it crawls around but i think they also wanted to stay true to george's vision and looked at that skeleton that we see in the desert in a new hope and that thing doesn't have any arms on it so they decided to make it more of like a giant snake looking thing um, but at least with the head, like the head does kind of look, uh, similar to kind of other depictions of crate dragons that we've seen where it's kind of got like horns coming off the back and it's, you know, just a very like crested sort of reptilian looking head. Um, but on the body of this giant sandworm thing. So, uh, I just thought it was a really cool, unique design, um, and just loved this interpretation of it. Um, Another cool aspect too, that I don't want to forget to mention is, the sound effects for the dragon too matched yes. up nicely to Obi-Wan's mimic of the dragon call with the scare the Tusken Raiders. I believe the first iteration of it. I don't think they took 
the more recent. Yeah, the first or the, the first or the second. Yeah. Like I'm not I don't remember what it sounded like in the theatrical cut, but it definitely was reminiscent of the one that I still sort of remember in my head, which is off the DVD exactly. version. Uh yeah. the Blu-ray one definitely just sounds like a crazy old man making noises. And after this <laughs> see, after this they should do another special edition and just change it to the crate dragon noise from the Mandalorian and that'll settle it. Yeah. Um <laughs> wouldn't surprise you if they do, but but, but but yeah, it was the one that sounded most familiar that you remember of obi-wan making to scare off the tuscan raiders so yeah. i did appreciate that aspect of it too or even the sound effect aspect um they paid attention to that detail as well yeah definitely and then oh and i forgot to mention one of my favorite lines from probably my favorite line from the whole episode i think it was the first time when they went to the to see the cave um and uh you know mando and Cobb are looking at it and he says uh Oh, I think Mando is like translating from the sand people. He says, oh, they say it lives in an abandoned Sarlacc pit. And Cop Van says, I've lived on Tatooine my whole life. There's no such thing as an abandoned Sarlacc pit. And he says, there is if you eat the Sarlacc. Um, and that right there tells you just how big and ferocious this thing is. Like, man, there's something that preys on Sarlaccs. Like, dang. Um But then, so going back to the end of the battle there. So, you know, Mando and Cobb fly up the they're shooting at the thing i think like they're trying to shoot it in the eye um but they get its attention and make it mad enough that it chases them back down the mountain um and then you know it's just terrorizing the sand people some more and stuff and uh they get its attention again by Cobb shooting his rocket at it out of the jetpack and uh, mando's like oh i've got an idea and Cobb's like what are you gonna do and he goes uh or he, he says watch the child for me and he goes what are you gonna do and he's like i don't know but wish me luck and then he whacks him on the back of the jetpack sends him flying off just like great. boba fett that was um, great <laughs> and then they've got a bantha that's got all of their mining charges on it and so he's gonna use that as bait and try to have the the crate dragon eat the bantha and then blow it up but then the bantha knows what he's up to and tries to take off running and so mando's got to stand there holding onto the bantha and the crate dragon swallows them both and then um you know of course it comes back up and mando's flies out of it he's like zapped it from the inside with his like the shock prod on his rifle so he basically it's spit out by the crate dragon flies out detonates the explosives and it all goes off in this big explosion and the crate dragon goes down um and then of course you see like uh, in the aftermath of it, the Tusken Raiders are chopping it up for meat, and they're digging through. And one of them finds the crate dragon pearl, which again, I, 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 that might be in multiple EU stories as well. But that was a big point in Kotor as well. That when you take down the crate dragon, you get this legendary pearl that's in there. And uh, I think you can like you can either sell it or you can give it to the Tusken Raiders and like uh, you know gain reputation with them but you can also use it as a lightsaber crystal and it's like one of the most powerful lightsaber crystals in the game this one was obviously too big to be a lightsaber crystal um and it's funny because actually the first time i was watching it uh you know he like the one tuscan pulls it out and holds it up and my first thought i went suga because it was like the jawas with the egg um <laughs> and then i was like oh wait shoot that's the crate dragon pearl so that was just another really cool little easter egg to end the episode on um, and of course, you know, Mando gets Boba Fett's armor from Cobb Vanth, they shake hands, you know, they, he's like, oh, you know, hope our paths cross again, and, uh, Cobb Vanth is happy to hand the armor over, he's like, well, you've more than deserved it, um, so they part on good terms, Mando takes off on his speeder bike, and goes driving across the dune sea, and we see a lone robed figure with Tuscan weapons watching him go, <laughs> And turn around and see the bald, scarred face of Tamara Morrison as Boba Fett back in live action. So that was 
just a crazy way to end it. I mean, I for me personally, like, you know, I, I know some people were like, this was like a big shocking reveal or whatever. But for me, like, I mean, once we saw Boba Fett's armor 10 minutes into the episode, I was like, well, we're going to see Boba at some point. Like, I know it's Cobb Vanth, but if you're reintroducing the Boba Fett armor and, and he's looking for a Mandalorian and Cobb isn't the actual Mandalorian that he's looking for, like, we have to see boba in the flesh at some point right and of course we knew that there was the rumors about tomorrow morrison as well so um you know for me i was like oh of course it's boba fett like this would be the thing that they end on but still it was just so cool to see him in live action again as well um and can't wait to see where they go now that he's been reintroduced now that mando's got the armor back I would assume, and I mean, obviously we'll talk about the second episode as well. I thought that we might just see Boba track him down in the second episode, but obviously that wasn't the case. So I think, at least I'm hoping that they're kind of setting this up that this is going to be a payoff later in the season that maybe Mando has to come back to Tatooine and uh, maybe in the last couple episodes or something, he's finally going to meet up with Boba. Um, but I've also heard, I don't know if you guys have seen this, there's been rumors online just in the past few days that, uh, they may be doing like a Boba Fett sort of spinoff miniseries, um, that might be going into production even like by the end of this year. And so maybe Hmm. that was just a little Easter egg to sort of reintroduce Boba Fett. And then we're going to have to wait for a whole different series or, or story to find out what happens to him but i would expect that we're gonna see him again at least you know maybe even if only briefly but um you know as much as he's obviously is a character that could spin off into his own story um i think ending it just on a teaser easter egg like that is something that they have to pay off further down the line in the mandalorian so i'm sure we'll see him again at some point but definitely looking forward to that um, but man, what a what a kickoff to the season! What a season opener! Um, and honestly, what a Star Wars movie! Like we also didn't <laughs> yeah, talk about the fact that this was fifty four minutes. Like just the scale of this, the the level of you know the effects and the production design and the scale of the crate dragon and the number of like villagers and Tusken Raiders and stuff, like. And of course, along with the great characters that we already have in here and the music and all the, you know, the cinematography and everything that's already top notch in this series. But I mean, you could tell that they kicked the production up a notch for season two. And I don't know if that's because they had more of a budget or if it was just because like I again, I would expect that for season one, they probably had to spend a good chunk of their budget just establishing all this technology that they use with the volume and everything. And so now with season two, they don't have to spend a bunch of money to build the toys and, and buy the toys. They can just play with the toys that they've already got and put more money into like the post-production and the special effects and stuff like that. So, um, just immediately raising the bar, but you know, with all that stuff combined with the long runtime and just how cool this episode was, I'm like, man, that felt like a star Wars movie. That didn't feel like an episode of TV. That was freaking awesome. Yeah couldn't agree with you more on that feeling you had when it was over but yeah just to go back to the very ending of the battle with this great dragon it just ended with a bang literally (laughs) but also figuratively just how great it was and just how everything all wrapped up and as uh din jaren and combat said their goodbyes and hope that their paths cross again i think everyone watching feels that way too because they just made for 
such a great character dynamic and just a great team up. Even Cobb Vance won't have his Boba Fett armor anymore. Um, it would be nice to see both of them team up again. <laughs> and I liked his kind of his final words that he said to Din Djarin about the jetpack saying, oh, tell your people that that was broken before I got it or mm-hmm. something to that effect. Yeah, which, he's, tell your people I wasn't the one that broke that. Yeah, which we could all thank Han for that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> also, so did you notice great. there's almost like a patch across the jetpack, like – like if you look closely, there, there's a part of it on the back that looks almost like patched up from where, uh, you know, like I always assume that Han just whacked it. But I saw somebody point this out on Twitter, too. It looks like Han had actually maybe like gouged out part of it or, the, you know, there was part of it that was damaged that was kind of patched over in this episode. Yeah, I didn't notice that, but it would make sense <laughs> for that to be the case for the jetpack to have it be working again. But can easily easily be so broken as well as <laughs> Din did in this episode to Cobb uh-huh. when he sent them flying. <laughs> but that was just great, and just hopefully we see that character again because Timothy Oliphant did a great job in portraying this type of character of Cobb and very likable, and just made for another good ally for uh, Din Djarin to have. Hopefully, over the course of other chapters that we get during the series, but. Boy, like you said, Kyle, you knew it was going to come at some point. And as I said at the beginning, just throughout the whole episode, I just kept thinking to myself, when, when are we going to see Boba Fett? When are we going to see Boba Fett? And knowing that the episode was about to end, I was obviously knew it was, was going to be a quick kind of tease um, that we were going to get and probably no dialogue or any interactions between Boba and Din. But boy, when we saw that character or that back shot of Din and the child riding across the beautiful twin sons of Tatooine and you see this cloaked character looking at them from a distance, you knew right away who that was. And I was giddy with excitement just from seeing the back of him. But when he turned around and you saw it was Tamora Morrison, his being scarred up, no hair, looks like his, no eyebrows, like they were burnt out. He looks similar to Anakin almost. Uh But just seeing... Boba Fett again in live action made me so happy as a Star Wars fan. And I tweeted this last week once the episode aired. is just that seeing Boba Fett again made me as happy as a Star Wars fan could be, just like hearing the words Ray Skywalker did at the end of Rise of Skywalker. You've heard me probably since the early days of this podcast of just how excited I was at the potential of, at that point, a Boba Fett movie. And just seeing the character again, having it be officially in the new canon, confirmed that he survived the Sarlacc pit to see him post Return of the Jedi. I was just waiting to get that story and to see that ever since the early days of the Disney Star Wars era. And to finally see it on screen for the first time, it just brought me so much joy <laughs> to see that, to see Boba Fett again and to see Temuar Morrison again back in Star Wars it was just so awesome, even for as short as it was. But again, the potential that is there to continue on with the story. And it's exciting, but at the same time, I don't know now how much we're going to get of Boba in this season. Because not to jump too far ahead into episode two, but like you, Kyle, I was totally expecting for them to pick up on that ending in the next episode. And once the second episode started on Tatooine, I thought, okay, we're going to see Bobo again we're gonna get this Boba Fett story really off the ground now but that wasn't the case and it just makes me wonder are they gonna save him for the finale episode or one of the later episodes or maybe not even until the next season they're just slowly building up 
Boba Fett stories throughout the course of each season, we got a hint and a tease of the possibility that maybe that was Boba Fett in, at the end of the Gunslinger episode in season one. In this season, it is confirmed. Boba, that is Boba Fett. He is alive. But that's all we're going to get for this season. And maybe in season three is when we get the full-blown Boba Fett story arc. But from what you were saying, and honestly, I didn't see those rumors uh, circling around online recently. But if they do decide to do a Boba Fett miniseries, I mean, I'm not going to complain about that at all. But I would like this, his story to continue a little bit further in The Mandalorian. Because like you said, it was introduced in the series that he did survive. We saw him now. And... It just makes me want to see him interact with Din Djarin and get his armor back some way, somehow, because I think it would be cool to get that payoff in the series where Boba Fett comes face to face with Din Djarin, one bounty hunter uh, to another who wears Mandalorian armor and him reclaiming that armor back. And it just makes me think, does he even want it back right away at this point? Because I would think maybe he was keeping tabs on Cobb Vanth and following where he went and what he did with his armor. And maybe he followed them to the battle with the crate dragon and saw what unfolded there and saw that he gave his armor up, but maybe he doesn't feel right in taking it back just yet. Maybe he feels some regret or unworthiness of that armor now for what happened in return of the Jedi. But I don't know how, but some way he's going to get that armor back. <laughs> it just, the seeds have been planted and it just makes sense for him to get that armor back and to become Boba Fett once again. I just think it's going to take a while to get there, but I absolutely cannot wait to see that story be told. Um, and I'm hope hopefully it is we get a little more of the season, but at this point, I'm starting to temper my expectations just a little bit of how much Boba we're going to get in this season now, just based off the fact that um, they didn't continue on with that reveal in the following episode. So, but man... I could not be happier with that ending and just what it meant to me as a lifelong Star Wars fan and being a huge Boba Fett fan as a kid growing up and just waiting so long to, for, to officially know that he's back alive and kicking post Return of the Jedi. And it was just so amazing to see the, the smile on my face, man. Wow. I know I said that a few times over the course of talking about this episode, but no other time was it bigger than at the end where we saw the return of Boba Fett. It was just an amazing way to cap off what was an amazing hours of Star Wars content on my TV screen. It was just incredible. I was just so giddy. I'm just even so happy right now just talking about it and knowing that Boba Fett is back now. And I've just been thinking about this episode, the fact that Boba's back, his seeing his armor again pretty much the whole week leading up to the second episode. It was just a great feeling to have as a Star Wars fan. It was just so, so much fun. There is a lot to talk about with Boba Fett. And I think that, you know, you kind of echoed a lot of that stuff, Tim. What, I, what I'll just add is a couple things in, in that I think that we're going to see the gradual work up to him getting the armor. And I think that there's definitely not a chance where we've only seen him once in the series, uh, the season. I think he's going to come back. And in fact, in fact, if the rumors are true, which I would not be shocked if they did like a, a mini series, like two, three uh, episodes or whatever about with Boba Fett doing something on Tatooine or whatever, there's something because the Mandalorian has his armor. And if you're yeah. going to do a Boba Fett series, 
you're either going to have him in the armor or he's going to be getting the armor. And so it didn't, wouldn't really make sense for him to get the armor in his uh, from the Mandalorian in a miniseries. I mean, it could, but this doesn't seem right from just a functional standpoint. So I think we're going to get that. I think the fact they've emphasized the the helmet, just that one scene in, in the second episode where there's like it, it, it focuses on the helmet at one point yeah specifically so i think there's they're hinting of of a confrontation and what i'm wondering is also are they hinting at the fact that maybe they're i don't want to say retcon but are they going to somehow include the 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 boba fett being a mandalorian somehow like is this is this or i say jingo fett i should say or or that whole line yeah because I think that's what Filoni is going to be doing because I think that there's going to be, because it, it emphasizes the fact that you're a Mandalorian, you can't wear that armor. So you automatically set up the fact of there's going to be a confrontation. If that's the case with, with Boba Fett, he won't want to give the armor to Boba Fett because he's not a Mandalorian as far as we know now. But Din Jaren doesn't know that, but I, I think regardless, that's a story point they have to tackle. Like, and yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I hope I would love to see. I mean, whether they end up being allies or enemies in the end, I'd love to just see a, a discussion between the two about Mandalorian culture and find out. Like, I know obviously in the Clone Wars they said Jango Fett wasn't a Mandalorian, but see that from Boba's perspective, does he consider himself a Mandalorian? Um, and uh, you know, even if he does, is Din going to say like, "Well, you lost the armor, like your helmet's off, you can't put it back on"? And are they going to end up just fighting for it that way, or is Boba going to give it up, or is he going to maybe change Din's mind on on certain aspects see, of of Mandalorian culture? Yeah, so that's gonna there's be no a really, way. A really interesting yeah. conversation once once we he, see that. He's happen. not going to. And this is where, and this is why I think there, there's there's I want to say retcon, but I think there's something coming with that because. He's so dedicated to that. He took it from Cod Vamp. So the fact he did that means that, you know, as we know the Mandalorian after what, this much time of getting to know him, we know he's a principle-like character. He lives by his principles. He will die by his principles. And that, so the fact he will not give that armor up, he will die before he gives that armor to a non-Mandalorian. And that's why he was able to, you know, he was going to fight and obviously, the, he he's all, he's reasonable, right? Yeah. So, he, but again, he has, if he's gonna follow the creed, you have two options: either Boba Fett's not a Mandalorian because they said in the Clone Wars that Jango Fett wasn't a Mandalorian, so he's not gonna give it to him because he's already not a Mandalorian. But also, if you retcon it to say he is a Mandalorian, he's lost his armor. Like, if he and Din come face to face and Boba's not wearing the helmet, he can't put it back on because that's also part of the creed. See, but but this is where I'm wondering where because it, it gets it. This is where it gets dicey because he almost he he didn't know he had no choice. He woke up with it off because again, I think there's. So we need there, that flashback sequence. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And this, is, well, and this, is, and this is where I think it's dicey either way. But I'm looking forward to seeing how they resolve that. I just I'm gonna say right now I think get ready for a retcon of of Jango Fett being a Mandalorian. I, Which I think, wouldn't be too bad. I mean, exactly. It, I agree. Um, the prime minister of Mandalore, that could be his viewpoint because he's a bounty hunter, doesn't know his full story. Maybe Boba was with the group 
of Mandalorians that they just didn't recognize or didn't necessarily view as Mandalorians. Because I'm going from those uh, four that four season comic, which was just so good, <laughs> of Boba or Django being raised by Jastin Mareel and that group of Mandalorians. But I don't know it could be some that you could work in and still have that line um, from Clone Wars still be accurate from that. You can perspective. work on that so easily. Wait, I mean, wait, that wait, is wait. Like... Here's here's another option though that I just thought of. Because obviously the Mandalorians take people in, like foundlings are a thing. Right. So maybe either either Boba says like, no, I'm not technically a Mandalorian, or he's lost the armor, you know, he he can't put it back on, whatever. But may, you know, maybe Din is like, well, you never had the right to wear that armor in the first place because you weren't actually part of the Mandalorian culture. But what if they become allies? Boba has to go on some test to prove himself. And then he swears the creed and becomes an actual true Mandalorian and then, like, earns the armor back. That doesn't seem like Boba Fett to me. It Boba doesn't, Fett. but and kind I don't of, know. Maybe five hard years on Tatooine have changed him. I don't know. And just, just going by there. a lot of, a lot of the EU stuff we've got of Boba in the 90s of how he never removed his helmet. seemed like he kind of lived by that creed anyway. If yeah. you're going to kind of take inspiration from, those, from some of those stories where... Again, that classic line where he just says, this is my face, where you just really take that and establish it as his character once he took on being a bounty hunter with the Mandalorian armor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think there's I just think that there's going to be some a major retcon coming with Boba Fett, which I'm all about. I'm not against it. I think I think not making a Mandalorian was a very unpopular move, even by George. And I think even Filoni would probably agree with it. And I think if he retcons it, I think it's totally Filoni being like, yeah, I'm just going to go and correct that for you, George. It's one (laughs) of those things. Like I, I I really do because again, watching those special features for the Mandalorian episodes of Clone Wars season two, you totally see Filoni being like, I didn't really agree with everything George was doing on this one, but uh, you, you can just tell he wasn't, he wasn't full on in agreement. And I think that's one of the things about Filoni and George that had a great – why the Clone Wars was so good. I think George and and Dave had such a great working relationship that they were able to disagree even though George had the final say. George would probably you know, alter a lot of – or at least kind of – you know, he, he would take what Dave would have to say in, into account even though he didn't always agree with it and would always take his advice. There was enough of that where – you know, Dave could say things. And now that Dave's in charge and George isn't, Dave can do something that he maybe he always wanted to do. Was always like, yeah, Boba should be Mandalorian. Jenga should be Mandalorian. I'm going to change that. And it's very easy to change it. Um, Well, I think even one thing you could do too, if you're saying like, you know, that Boba never takes his helmet off, we could even find out that maybe, uh, we could find out Jango wasn't a true Mandalorian. But Boba, after being orphaned and like after the Clone Wars and everything, maybe sometime in between episodes three and four, maybe he did join a group of Mandalorians and swear yeah. the creed and they took him in as a foundling. And so that could be part of his backstory, too. And that wouldn't even be a retcon because there's a big unexplored part of his backstory there. Um, well, don't forget that Din Djarin had his helmet off by a droid in season one. So, well, right. But it's it's a living thing. That they yeah, can't, but, you know, take their but, helmet off in front of. I'm just saying. What, to, I'm just saying. If you, if you, they're gonna go back and say that Boba Fett is a Mandalorian, you don't need to necessarily retcon the Jango Fett story that they did in Clone Wars. You could just have some something where, 
in between episodes three and four that Bulba joined a Mandalorian covert or whatever and and swore the creed. So I'm betting right now it's a it's gonna be retconned. I think they're gonna retcon it, and I I, I just go I'm gonna go with it. I'm gonna go yeah. with it. The only retcon I was worried about with Boba Fett was where they were gonna change the fact that he was a clone of Jango when he was gonna be this unknown no yep. name character and that's obviously been officially put to bed and squashed now that, yeah you that know dave wasn't case, gonna so. let him get away with that exactly that's so, that the only retcon i was worried about and that's done with so if they want to retcon a little bit with uh the whole is he a mandalorian thing or not i'll probably more be more than okay with whatever they decide to go with so i i think with this now i think it's very possible we can get those clone a clone wars movie uh special um that those those episodes with Cad Bane, mm. I I think it's very possible we're gonna get that now. Well, that also could be part of Boba's backstory in a flashback or something, either in mm-hmm. a Mandalorian episode or in uh His miniseries. You know, if they do a spin-off series. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think I think that's definitely still a story that we'll get at some point in some form. If we got that live action Oh man! Wow! <laughs> oh yeah, Cad Bane in live action, even just for one flashback scene. Gosh, sign me up. We'll we'll see. And really quickly, I have to say that no, I'll save it for the second after the second episode because it kind of it kind of this definitely culminates with it. So we can go move on to the second episode now. Okay. Well, I will say we're gonna have to kind of speed through the second episode a lot quicker we've all already spent almost two hours just talking about the first episode but but the the second episode's a little not it's not it's it's not it's not as i would say as not uh, as meaty yeah 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 no that's not a bad thing either no yeah i i would definitely agree i mean i still enjoyed the second episode but there's definitely not as much to dissect and chew on as there was with the first uh first one so not as much crate dragon meat in the second one. <laughs> <laughs> well said well said um yeah so i guess okay with the second one instead of going all the way through the story beats let's just kind of talk general thoughts highlights uh anything that stuck out to you guys i know for me um you know seeing like the the x-wing chase through the clouds was freaking amazing wow. yeah. just visually <laughs> uh seeing dave filoni's x-wing pilot come back was pretty cool again seeing the connective tissue back to uh episode six was at the prisoner of last season um and seeing sort of the reper- both the good and bad repercussions of his actions in that episode kind of uh come back to affect things in this episode where first they're going after him because he was connected with this prison heist um, and seeing that have negative repercussions for him. But then at the end of the episode, seeing that, you know, oh, they actually went back and checked like the prison records and saw that he actually tried to save the pilot and uh, he helped like lock up the criminals and he was the one that led them to their base. And so they end up helping him out of a tough spot at the end. Um so again, just nice to sort of build that continuity and have those callbacks to to previous episodes. Um, and then, of course, the spiders, um, <laughs> which was, I mean, again, it was cool to see straight out of Rebels and out of the old yeah. Ralph McQuarrie concept art. Um, but in Rebels, they were all kind of like human sized. And in this one, they ranged all the way from little tiny guys that Baby Yoda could eat out of their eggs to giant like Cloverfield monster sized ones that can sit on the razor crest and keep it from taking off. So uh just some cool monster movie elements there. Um 
also really cool visual setting although i i don't know about you guys but i was like super disappointed once i realized oh this is the ice planet that we saw from the trailers and it's clearly not ilum um yeah <laughs> and i mean it, was... took, it took me a little while to realize that like every time they walked through the corridors or something i kept expecting like a reveal like oh is this going to be ilum or when baby yoda wanted to eat the the little frog eggs out of the pool and then he like turns to go look for something else i was like he's gonna go find a kyber crystal but no he found spider eggs instead so um <laughs> yeah i had my hopes up a little bit for that one but um i think it it became clear after a while like oh okay this is not where this story is going um and i've heard some people say that this was kind of like a disappointing filler episode or that it didn't really advance the story much and, um I mean, look, for me, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it was filler like it was advancing the story. He's looking for more Mandalorians and kind of has to go on this little detour side quest. It's not the most uh, not the most exciting, not the most consequential. Like it obviously is just kind of a stepping stone to I think next episode he's going to get this frog lady to where she needs to go and meet the Mandalorian that she's taking him to. Um, and so this was just kind of like. It was almost like a part one. Like it was, it was pushing the story along just without really a payoff yet. Um, and I think that was maybe what was kind of disappointing for some people. I, I guess depending on your definition of it, you could kind of put it into the territory of filler episode, but it wasn't like pointless. Um, and I and still filler thought it was, again I, is not always a bad thing. I always go back to that point. Where yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, th I thought it was entertaining. So what do you guys think? Oh, definitely. Yeah, All I right. really enjoyed this episode too. I mean, it wasn't what I was expecting for it to be. And kind of my biggest disappointment aspect of it was kind of what I alluded to with Boba Fett. I was just really excited and hoping that they would continue on that story thread with Boba Fett. And the fact that it started on Tatooine with a really cool fight sequence between uh, Din and those um, marauders or just other bounty hunters trying to get the child and this another cool fight sequence that ended on a great note with <laughs> that creature getting the jetpack and Din just activating it, having him fly <laughs> off and fall to the ground. But when I was that watching, was, I was that thinking, was a really cool fight scene. And it also reminded me of like the second half of Jedi fallen order when bounty hunters just start randomly ambushing you in the most inconvenient places. And it's so annoying. Yeah. <laughs> but when I was watching that, sequence play out was go oh is this where boba fett's gonna make his presence known is he gonna help din defeat these bandits but no <laughs> and then i thought oh his speeder is destroyed he's gonna have to travel very far is he gonna bump into boba fett is boba fett gonna offer to help and try to get his armor back somehow or start that story but no he just goes back to the moss Eisley, and the episode that gets going where he has to take the passenger onto this planet uh, to help with uh, to meet up with her husband to get those eggs fertilized. And I really like the creature design for I don't know the alien species name just yet, but the frog creature <laughs> was a simple design, but really cool. I also like the fact when it was in the cantina and um, we see uh, Pelimoto playing Sabak with that big ant insect creature who you've seen before in those black and white deleted scene extended sequence of the cantina sequence from A New Hope and they're just like this giant bug um, in the background. So I just like how it kind of played into that aspect of the cantina sequence where certain alien creatures are just giant insects. So it was kind of cool that they paid a little homage to that. Um, but yeah, the episode had a lot of beautiful shots in it. I think some of the best in the series, especially with the X-Wing sequence. Man, when they go into the atmosphere of that planet and you see them flying in the sky amongst the sun, it reminded me of the 
first uh, shot of the X-Wings that we got in the Force Awakens tease that unfortunately was cut from the actual movie. But it was such a striking visual of seeing the X-Wings in the sunlight. And that shot we got in this episode reminded me a lot of that. And just even the battle on Starkiller Base in The Force Awakens, where it was in the first-person uh, view of, a, of the cockpit of an X-Wing, we got a lot of shots like that in this chase, too, on the Ice Planet, which is really cool to see as well. It was just beautifully shot by Peyton Reed, who directed this episode. It was just really well done. And then those spider creatures, man, like you said, it was cool to... Right away, I thought of those uh, Rebel episodes where they're on Chopper Base and they're first introduced to those spider creatures. And the designs look very similar, but so much bigger on this planet. And it looked incredible. Just the fact, this is, again, two episodes in a row where you just sell, you can just tell where the production uh, value and just the budget for it is just a lot Again, they upped their game <laughs> just within the creature uh -huh. department between the crate dragon and these spiders. It was just incredible to see. And a different type of action sequence, obviously, than what we got in the Marshall episode, but still a fun one. And just having that more monster vibe to it where you got this big giant creature, but then these tiny creepy spider creatures following you and chasing you around. You're trying to fight them all off, but yet they just keep on coming. And Mando is using all his tricks, blasters, the flamethrowers, <laughs> just all this stuff to slow them down but it just wasn't enough because it is so overwhelming and they got their spider webs out there throwing on them and there's that one quick little moment that i thought was really cool where uh they're making their way to the razor crest and then the spider shoots out a web and it gets on din's arm and it traps him to the ship and then a tiny spider jumps at him but he catches it with his other arm that's free and just squashes it it was mm -hmm. just really cool so a lot of cool moments like that and then having the x-wing pilots come back and save the day uh was really great you knew someone was going to come and helped them out. And I thought, oh, we're going to get the surprise appearance of another uh, character that was, is reported to be in this series, Bo-Katan, Sabine. I know it's too early for Ahsoka, but um, but I think it's still cool that it was these X-Wing pilots who still helped them out. Knew he kind of had a, some criminal records under his name, but knew he tried to do good as well, which is why they decided to let him go. So this is a lot of great stuff. And that made this episode so unique from the others. But I just really, really dug it. The only thing that was that was getting annoying in this episode was the whole, and this was a topic amongst a lot of fans over the uh, episode, is how uh, the child, Baby Yoda, kept eating those eggs that we know are so vital to the survival of the species uh, for this husband and wife uh, alien species that are trying to have their family survive. And at first, when Baby Yoda goes to the tank and he puts his hand on it, and you hear the bass rumble get loud and you know he's connect using the force and he's connecting with it. So I thought it was going to be playing up to a connection that he's that he feels with these eggs. But then when you saw that he ate one, it just made me think, oh, they're just going to play this up for laughs or is he just kind of investigating here? But then over the course of the episode, he eats another one. And I was just thinking, is there going to be something more to this than meets the eye? instead of just kind of be funny where he is eating the eggs and but at the very last moment the last shot of the episode where you see the frog creature kind of sees baby yoda eyeing the tank again and she puts her arms over it more to kind of cover it and show that she's guarding it and then but baby yoda still was able to sneak one more and eat it just to kind of go Haha, another funny gag to end this episode on we played this had this gag throughout the course of the episode and we're gonna do it one more time so I'm kind of thinking it was more played up for laughs, but 
I still think there's a way that we're it is more than him just eating it because the way it showed him using the force to connect with it. There's just got to be more to that. And I'm thinking he does sense where here's what I think is going to happen. He sensed that that tube they're in is not necessarily safe. He made a connection with them. Maybe he feels they don't uh, feel safe in there or can sense the future in some way with them. So he's trying to, he's swallowing them. He's, he's just taking and putting his mouth and swallowing. Them. He's not really chewing or eating them. So part of me thinks he's storing them in himself somehow, some way. And I could totally see in the next episode where um, then obviously he reunites uh, the husband and wife together. Because if you go back and watch the first trailer, you see both of them walking into the port on the water planet. And you see that she does have the tank with the eggs. So I could totally see where he has, still has to escort him to a safe spot. And that tank with all the eggs gets destroyed. And they're thinking they're just devastated where they just lost the only hope they had for the survival of their species. And then baby Yoda maybe coughs up the three eggs that he swallowed and kept stored and thus showing that he was protecting them rather than just eating them and causing some laughs and a gag for the whole episode. At least that's what I'm hoping for because it got to the point where it was actually getting mad at baby Yoda for once in an episode, <laughs> which I never thought would be possible. But you just kept going, well, what are you doing? <laughs> this, these two creatures are just so dead set on trying to survive and it just to see baby Yoda eat them. It just made you <laughs> really feel like he needed a good smack <laughs> of, <laughs> um, from Din's. He tried to be stern with him, but uh, just maybe get a little tap to show him it's a little discipline to not do what he was doing. But um, again, I'm hoping it is something more where it was just played up for laughs that he's eating them. So we'll see. That was kind of the only uh, nitpick or annoying aspect I had with the episode. And just for my wild speculation of hoping that <laughs> we'd see more of Boba Fett was disappointing at first when we didn't get it. But um, knowing and just looking at the episode for what it was uh, by itself was just a very entertaining one. And just um, a nice continuation of the season so far. I think this episode is 100% Star Wars. And it, it because it does so many different things. It gives you fan service. It gives us creatures. It gives us aliens. It's got spaceships. I mean, it's the whole thing. And, and there's also a, a narrative. I mean, there's also this, this wholesome thing about this alien trying to spawn her yeah. genetic line. And she ends up rewiring a droid that was like a killer droid to communicate the Mando, which, by the way, was underutilized. I, I lost my mind when she did that. I thought that was that so was cool. Yeah, that was yeah. pretty dang cool. And, and I, I kind of, and I remember, I don't know if I did it on your show um, or our show or or what, but I think I talked about, I'm like, I wonder if that droid's going to come back into play because before even la th this episode, because he kept him, like he shot him on the, and I always thought it'd be kind of cool if, if if uh, Zero ended up being like a helper droid, like he reprogrammed him, especially now with IG-11 and how he re was reprogrammed by, uh, um, oh God, I forgot his name. I said his name earlier oh, and now I forgot it. Quill. Quill. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. And I'm like, oh, so she just used him. I wonder if they're going to progressively go up to that point. Um, because... When she looked at him, I almost thought, is she going to reprogram this droid and all of a sudden he's going to try to kill Mando? 
Mm. I I, I kind of thought IG-11 was going to come back, like, or some, you know, not, not him specifically, but like the idea of a droid being re- reprogrammed and repurposed and becoming an ally. Because I love, I love Zero. That was a great looking droid. Um, again, I don't want to talk about that droid again because he's so good. Uh, I could talk about it for a long time. But this episode just, it felt, the pacing, the, it's funny. People say, would I say this episode's better than the last episode? No. But I would actually also, but I also would say that this episode was better paced than the last episode. And I think that's one of the strengths to it. Like I felt that the pacing and all it incorporated into the show was really well done. Now, was it the most engaging of stories? No. I mean, I, I definitely think the last one was a little more engaging considering, you know, Cobb Vanth and the Boba Fett armor and yada, yada, yada. With with this episode, it's a little more simple. And I and again, is it I, filler, whatever, it doesn't matter. Give me a good story, whether it be filler or whatever, is it, fine. The problem with filler episodes is because a lot when you say filler, there's a lot of, there's a connotation of you're just putting something in for like because you have to. And the thing is with stories, it doesn't matter if it's filler or if it's you know what it doesn't matter. A good story is a good story. Cause you could have a really crappy ongoing story, but have good filler, right? So what would it matter at that point? As long as the stories are good, who cares? So my thing is it, you can have something that's filler, but it, if it's good, it's good. I think this is a good example of a great, a great episode. That's you could say quote unquote is filler, but what it's not advancing maybe the whole plot completely, but whatever. I mean, the thing is, it's still a good story. And to me, it just felt so when those spiders came out, I'm like, oh man, this is like have a Mandalorian shooting these spiders that were I again I've seen this this uh concept art since the illustrated Star Wars universe with the that I saw in the Dagobah that was supposed they're supposed to be native to Dagobah that Ralph McQuarrie uh created. And so to me it, this was everything. We have X-Wings, you've got Mandalorians, you got these giant spider things on an ice planet, baby Yoda eating a spider. I mean, it's just like <laughs> everything. When, when I think of me as a child and this, it just, I, I just, it felt it connected me mo- mostly as a child. Like, and, and there's certain things that I connect with star Wars and it's not all the same. Like I connect to the, the, the prequel trilogy as an adult or a young adult more than I, as a child. Which again was good. It's, it's different. It's different levels. This connected to me to as a child, and to me, the most pure Star Wars is when it makes me feel childlike, and that's why it's a hundred percent. I felt like a kid watching Star Wars again because of how just everything was well paced. The aliens, the creatures. I mean, when you have when you're in Moss Eisley and you have the, the cricket playing yeah. like uh sabak and he says idiots array i mean it's just it's just fun i mean and again i i love deep star wars i love for all of the deep star wars i can get we all know that but when you can write a fun good just whole, the good old episode of star wars you know give it to me because this is what it was and i i will take this every single time and it again is it the best episode no but to me, I think this is a great episode. It it's not a top five, but it, it's good, and I loved it. And I watch it, and it's 
I watched it a couple times a day. Just now I had it going on while we were watching. And to me, this is what I think the Mandalorian and I think what I want out of people doing Star Wars is that, and and I'm going to kind of go into a little bit of what I wanted to talk about uh, earlier in, in that this episode and the last episode it just it's continuing the idea of the 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 brilliant balancing act of the Mandalorian series and the fact that there's and there's a tweet that I, I quote tweeted out last week and it was uh, a girl named Christy um, or I say a woman named Christy she's not a girl uh, wife of my friend Michael um, and she had a great point saying that she thinks the reason Mandalorian is is done so well and it kind of helped unite fandom is because it's incorporating so many, you know, in, it's kind of, you know, letting people in on the secrets that George was was going in on for Star Wars. And you're also expanding on different things in the, in the expanded universe, whether it be the canon or, not, or whatever, right? And you're also pushing things forward. And it's that brilliant balancing act that is so hard. And I think when you do that, you're, you can't just have one thing all the time it's it's definitely a balancing act and that's the one thing about the mandalorian and this episode i think especially is a great example of you're balancing nostalgia you're balancing new things but you're also trying to keep that wholesome idea of star wars and it's so hard but the show manages to do that every single time even episodes i my least favorite episode was episode four of last season and I'd say that only because I something had to be last, but I still liked it a lot, but it's still, again, it still pushes things forward, but also calls back. It's like, you're, you're pushing the idea of aliens in that episode. You're pushing, you know, different, these different like, re, like uh, reavers of marauders, you know, these, these, they're still going around planet to planet. They get, those are establishing there's a lot of those still. You have callbacks to the ATSD. Again, it's good fan service. There's nothing wrong with fan service if it's done fan service if it's done right. And in this episode, you have a different alien, you know, more aliens that you know we're expanding on from the Moss Icy Cantina. Things are taking things from the Car- Rebels cartoon show and original Ralph McQuarrie things and seeing them in live action, which was let's be real, it looked amazing. We yep. got the crate dragon last episode, sure, and that was incredible. And nothing, it doesn't compare quite to that, but it's not that far off either. When that spider jumps on the freaking razor crest, come on, yeah, that's incredible. I mean, it looks amazing, and and I just think that this series is a great example of what. If, and again, I, 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 it's hard for me to say this is what Star Wars should be all the time, but the spirit of what the show does is what they need to do pretty much on every and on everything live action or cartoon or whatever. And it, where it's doing all three of those things, expanding on what George did and, and, and don't be afraid to let people in on secrets. And that's a and that's one thing about the, like like crate dragons a great example of that. That's one thing you could very easily say like well that's something that George didn't want to show and we want to keep that secret. No no no. What let's just it, it felt this is where I'm gonna bring comic books back into it. This is something that you people are like no no let's do that let's do the unexpected like bring Bucky Barnes back from the dead and ends up being the best you know one of the best things that Marvel did in the, in the early 2000s. And I, again 
sometimes when the story's right and the and the the mood is right, that's kind of funny to say. You have it, it, it. You can expand on those things, and I think like again, Yoda species is another great example of that. That before a lot of people didn't want to know about Yoda species and want to keep that a secret, and I think it's evident now with Baby Yoda and how we keep getting more and more, you know, with him. The time is right to expand on the species and we're going, I hope they don't, they don't skirt around that. And I think that this to me is the season is just, it, the more we expand, the more we, we take different things from these different, uh, you know, the canon, the expanded universe and the, and the tasteful right ways. And you use it to your advantage. And you also are pushing and trying new things in star Wars, which I think we're getting those things in this. And I just, it's amazing how good the series is. And it's, it's a great example of how you can do all of those things and make people happy. And again, not everybody, obviously, because it's, impo it's impossible. But to make majority of people happy and have it still feel like Star Wars and make new fans, old fans, everyone happy, this is the, this is the way to do it. And these last two episodes, and again, this episode's no exception. The second episode, The Passenger, you can do that and not have to be super serious and be expanding on, on the expanded universe and doing, you know, nostalgia 24-7. This wasn't nostalgia 24-7. This was also establishing new things and new planets and, and everything. And I don't know. I, I just love Actually, fun fact, it wasn't a new planet. This is the same ice planet that Mando's on in episode one, season one. No way. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. Apparently, I saw that on Twitter. Apparently when uh, like one of the shots when he's in the cockpit of the Razor Crest, either as he's approaching the planet or when he's already crashed on it or something, he's got a readout on the screen and somebody translated the Orabesh that's on the screen and it's the same name as that planet from the first episode. That's awesome. So, And, and so in my closing of, of, I think just kind of in general of, of this episode, and, and like you said, is it, is it as heavy and as pushing, I think, the universe forward, no. But at the same time, it also just felt, it just felt like Star Wars. When, when the, if Baby Yoda eating spiders and running away from these giant white spiders. And also, I just thought it was just, just a couple, again, the pacing and the cool moments of like when when the, the fish lady, frog lady, shoots um, the spiders off of Baby Yoda. Like, there was like a... I can't explain how I, how this made me feel, but it just felt right that that this lady had this blaster the whole time because because mm -hmm. the Mandalorian didn't even like say anything. He just kind of was like, "Oh, you had that the whole time." Like he there's the there was this kind of unspoken likeness to it that just felt right to me. I don't know. I can't explain what I'm trying to trying to say here, but there was this. It just felt so Star Wars. I don't know. It just, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, like that, of course that frog lady would have a blaster. She's going to protect herself. Right. Yeah. Uh -huh. And so I, I, it's, it just was like, instead of being like, Oh, I'm going to take a blaster. It, it, it's like, Oh yeah. Duh. It's star Wars. Everyone has a blaster. It just, it just <laughs> felt, that's what I'm trying to Except say. Except on Jakku. <laughs> yeah. Well, well Jakku makes sense because everyone's poor and doesn't, you know, whatever. Right. So, I mean, so yeah, I, I just, it just felt very, appropriate lived in and it just felt so much like star wars and i'm like this this episode embodies everything about star wars that we that i love and yeah i just give me more of this 
all the time. Yeah, I was like, if this is what the filler episodes are going to be, sign me up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean. yeah, definitely. Well, because the other thing, normally, like with network TV shows where there's a 22-episode season, yeah. filler episodes are also usually the ones where, like, it's a few episodes before the season finale, and you could tell, like, they slashed the budget on this episode so they could spend more mm-hmm. money on the effects for the last two episodes. There's and so it's an episode where, yeah, there's just some talking, and there's not really a lot of exciting, like, action or anything going on. Um and like, yeah, like you said, like if this is a filler episode for the Mandalorian, well, man, just again, the visuals of the planet and the the f- creature effects of the spiders and everything, like this is a pretty dang exciting filler episode. Um, so, you know, mm-hmm. not not every week can we have two Mandalorians and an army of Tusken Raiders taking down a crate dragon. So um, this was a little bit more of kind of just a normal like par for the course kind of week. Um, but uh, yeah, still a fun episode. I mean, for me, that would probably rank... I don't know, somewhere in the the middle of um yeah of my agreed. episode rankings. Maybe, I mean, probably in the lower half. But again, that's not a bad thing. It's just because it wasn't as good as like some of the the really awesome episodes that we've seen. But man, uh, chapter nine, the marshal was like that's easily that's, an to, that's easily <laughs> top three for me. Um, I would say my top three, and I I don't even know a particular order, but it would be uh chapter two, the child, uh chapter eight. Which is what redemption? I don't know the yeah. one where Moff Gideon's got the dark saber at the end that I lost my freaking mind, and then Chapter Nine uh, with the crate dragon and everything. So yeah, season got off to a, a rock and hot start. Um, pretty good follow up with with Episode Two, and then so next week, uh, it like you said, Tim is going to be the boat episode, um, and I'm guessing that's probably also good. that episode is probably going to start off with that shot from the beginning of the trailer where the razor crest is all banged up and just kind of yeah. limping through space. It's kind yeah. of funny because I feel like we've already seen a lot of the footage from the trailer in these first two episodes so far, and I feel like all really all that's left that we haven't seen yet is the stuff on the water planet with the boat. Um, which again, I'm pretty sure is going to be next week. And then the stuff on Navarro where he's back there with, uh, grief Karga and Cara Dune, which that makes me excited because that, I mean, I would assume they're probably going to spend at least two episodes on Navarro, but then there's a whole nother three episodes of the season that we really haven't seen anything from yet. Um, so who knows? I mean, we could be back on Tatooine with Boba Fett. We could be on, who knows where else meeting who knows who else well we have an idea but uh yeah it's just gonna be really fun to see i i just love that you know i I love when you can kind of check off all the stuff that we've seen in the trailers so far and go okay that means we've got a lot of stuff to look forward to that we don't even know what's coming yet so as much as i like to see stuff in the trailers and get excited about it i also like knowing that we have big surprises ahead um, and just not yeah. knowing what's coming. This also really makes me wish that we hadn't gotten so many sort of leaks and stuff like in between seasons. Because um, even like I talked about when Boba Fett showed up at the end of uh, Chapter 9, I mean, again, just really cool seeing him in live action again. But it wasn't like a huge surprise. Like between A, the fact that we had already seen his armor in the episode, but B, of course, the fact that we had heard basically the unofficial announcement that Tamara Morrison was coming back. Um, I'm like, man, imagine if we didn't know that, you know, if we, if we hadn't heard about Tamara Morrison, if we hadn't heard the rumors that Timothy Oliphant was going to be Cobb Vanth, then 
first of all, just seeing the guy standing there for the first time in Boba Fett's armor would have been a huge shock. And then actually yeah. seeing Boba at the end after the reveal that it wasn't actually him in the armor, I probably would have just lost my mind. So I might have um, passed out. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that's why they leaked it ahead of time, just so Tim wouldn't pass out and hit his head. Um, but uh, yeah, man, I mean, the season's off to a great start so far. And I uh, can't wait to see what we're going to get this week and, uh, you know, all the weeks coming up for the rest of the season. But just really glad to have Mandalorian back. I mean, like you said, Paul, I think this show really does a phenomenal job better than – again, I'm not trying to, like, dog on the sequel trilogy here or anything. I mean, there's obviously stuff I love about those movies too. But I think The yeah, Mandalorian yeah. just really nails that balance of the the new and the familiar. And it has yeah. it has the fan service and it has the callbacks and it has the stuff that makes it feel familiar and feels like Star Wars without it feeling like it's trying to copy anything or rely on things that are, are too familiar. Like, you know, that doesn't like hold it back. I mean, I guess it depends on who you ask because I've seen some re like reviews from critics and stuff that are like, especially for, for chapter nine, like I read IGN.com a lot. That's kind of my go-to for like gaming news, but also just like general pop culture and stuff. And I was reading their review for episode or for chapter nine and they gave it a seven out of 10 and basically criticized it for like relying on too familiar like story beats and being back on Tatooine and like, Oh, we've seen this in a dozen other monster movies and stuff before. And I'm like, yeah, but first of all, this Tatooine episode was a heck of a lot better than the last Tatooine episode. Also, it makes sense for Mando to be back there. I mean, he even says in the episode, like, he's been there a bunch of times, and he's obviously very familiar with the Tusken Raiders and stuff. So it's not even, like, this isn't even just his second time being there. I like that they kind of establish, like, these are just, like, his stomping grounds. This is just a planet in the Outer Rim that he's very familiar with. Um but also, yeah, just the, the way they integrated all those Easter eggs and the, the crate Dragon and the Tuscan lore and all that stuff. It's like, I don't know, maybe if you're just kind of a casual observer, maybe it wasn't the, the most impressive. But as a diehard Star Wars fan, like, man, you couldn't ask for much more than that. Um, and I think the show just continues to do a great job of, of balancing all those elements that you're talking about. So I'm really excited to have it back and I can't wait to see what's in store for us for the rest of the season. Yeah, echo everything you said. And just what you said right there, just so glad that it's back now. Just, again, recapturing how special it was getting live-action Star Wars on a weekly basis every Friday or Thursday night if you want to stay up late. But it's just so great to have that excitement back. And the episode 9 or chapter 9, the Marshall just reminded you right away just how great the series was and just how much we can look forward to seeing more of this great stuff for the next eight weeks well unfortunately <laughs> we're two down already so just six more weeks but still gonna be great and just going back to what you were talking about with the trailers and just how especially with that second tease we got that was only a minute and how there was some disappointment where they really didn't show anything new or didn't offer up any teases for some of the surprises that we're expecting to get this season but as i said when we were talking about that trailer it just means we're just going to be that much more blown away and excited when we see those surprises while watching the episode for the first time and that was the case right away with the marshal i mean they easily could have put some quick shots of the crate dragon in one of those trailers because it wasn't one of those big uh, surprises like boba or ahsoka or bo-katan that we're expected to see later on but it would have been something cool to get you excited about the upcoming season but seeing it for the first time and as we talked about not expecting to get an episode focused on 
a Kray dragon being taken down by Din Djarin and someone in Boba Fett's armor who ended up being Cobb, Cobb Vanth and then seeing Boba Fett later on. I mean, not getting any of those hints in the trailer just made it that much more special seeing the episode for the first time. And I agree of how we're kind of going through all those shots in the trailer very quickly in these first three episodes. And that just means more amazing stuff that we just have no idea how it's going to look. It's, but still be blown away by when we do see it. It just has me that much more excited. And just makes me even more glad how those trailers were designed the way they were and just getting us reminded, reminding us and just getting us excited enough for the upcoming season without showing all this huge, big surprises that we're already getting in these first two episodes. It's just been great so far and just makes us that much more exciting and anticipating these next uh, six episodes that are going to be uh, the remainder of the season. It's just great to have this feeling back of getting the Mandalorian every week. Now it's just uh, a great time now where we can expect this every year for the foreseeable feature in the fall, getting live action star Wars like this on a weekly basis. It's just so, so, so much fun. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, who knows how long, how many seasons The Mandalorian is going to run, but before too long, we'll be getting this multiple times a year with Cassian and Kenobi and uh, exactly. who knows, maybe a Boba Fett spinoff and whatever other series we're going to get on Disney+. Plus. So, uh, yeah, the future is bright. I can't wait to, to just keep going with more of this Star Wars content. Um, Paul, did you have any last thoughts before we wrap up? No, I, I pretty much said it. Um, basically, I think that this... Uh, it's been really exciting and fun. Uh, I'm just really happy that we're getting this once a week and we get to experience it. And I and I just seriously encourage everyone to stay off social media for you know before the episode because I've been doing that since the very beginning of the show, and I never got Baby Yoda spoiled for me and or anything like that. And I know some people enjoy spoilers and that's fine. You know, if that's what you want, but if you're kind of like, you know, try to avoid things, but you like going on social media, I'd say just don't go on Friday morning or whenever, whatever you need to do, because I just, I enjoy going in completely cold, not knowing anything that we're going to get and just being, and it really helps me also not knowing people's reactions and their criticisms or loves or whatever. I just go in completely free and just know I'm like, Oh yeah, that's really good. Or I didn't really like that episode. And like, man, I'm, I'm totally far away from everybody else, which would be, which is totally fine. Or I'm completely in line with everybody else, which is also completely fine. So I just encourage people to, to really avoid as much as they can and just get off social media for that, for that day and just go or whatever, how long they need to do before they watch it, just to go in completely like free. And it's just, it's so liberating to be quite honest. I, I just love it. So I just want to really encourage that for everybody. So if you can, if you like, if you know, whatever, but just, just see if you like it. Cause I, I really do think people would, would probably enjoy it even more, not knowing people's reactions to it before, you know, before they watch it. So yeah. Or watch it first thing in the morning or stay up late the night before whatever yeah. you got to do. But yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think it goes without saying, <laughs> don't let these, these big surprises and reveals and stuff get spoiled for you. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, like we were saying, I just can't wait to see what they've got in store for the rest of the season that we haven't seen in the trailers yet or anything. Um, and then, you know, getting to talk about it and share our reactions with you guys and all that kind of stuff. So uh, before we head out, Tim, I know we've got some uh, listener responses from like Facebook and Twitter and stuff that you got to read for us. 
Yep. Definitely got to check into what our listeners and followers on Twitter and Facebook thought of these two episodes for The Mandalorian. So first up is Derek at Derek JPB on Twitter says both episodes were wonderful standalone adventures. Very happy with the season so far. I found them very enjoyable with iconic sequences in each. I'm still creeping out over those spiders. And then at Tori Brewer says episode two was a huge letdown in my opinion. And I know I've seen a few reactions like that as well. And it is, you can't, it is hard to compare that with the first one, but so I can understand where there is some disappointment where you're just coming off the high of how amazing the Marshall was. But then, Spencer, <laughs> then Spencer at 5150 uh, says, love the episodic nature of this season. Like season one, I bet this all comes together neatly. I just wonder how Boba Fett fits in the rest of the season. Really loving the horror elements this season so far, too, but I'm wondering how we're going to move on in the child story. Also, I feel like Din doesn't really get a lot of development outside of learning to love droids. Might just be me. And then uh, at Mr. Pistu says, it reminds me of how Clone Wars and Rebels started. Lots of seemingly unrelated one-off episodes that pay off later down the line. The quality is fantastic, and I'm loving having weekly Star Wars. And then Jake at Jake underscore Wade 21 says, I thought the first episode is amongst the very best of Disney-created Star Wars content. A thrill ride from start to finish that only helps the argument that the future of this franchise should be on television. The second episode, although it was just filler, was also good fun, and I liked how it linked in with Chapter 6. It makes the episodes like that even better to rewatch when you know that they impact later narratives. Overall, a very solid start to Season 2. Can't wait to see more. And then at Frank Love says, The child eating an extinct race of babies from a nice frog lady was odd. This may be the first episode where there is too much baby today, or too much baby Yoda. <laughs> and hopefully my theory pans out where there's just more to him eating those eggs in the next episode, but we'll see. And then on Facebook, we got a comment from James Hewing says, First episode was amazing. Second was meh, in my opinion, but I feel it's a part one type of deal, so I'm willing to wait until I see episode three. The guy at the end of episode one, then he has a shock emoji on there. Crate <laughs> Dragon, Boba Fett, more coverts, Ice Spiders. I didn't enjoy. I don't like spiders. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it seems like for the most part, everyone was really, really enjoying the first episode, the Marshall, but then the passengers, some mixed reactions to it. But again, just still a lot of fun to have the Mandalorian back and just have the discussion uh, not only talking on the podcast, but also it's always fun to hear the reaction from the listeners and followers on social media and just to get the wide range of reactions and opinions for uh, The Mandalorian as the season goes on. So just all part of the fun, too, as we get these episodes each and every week. Yeah, condolences to anybody that had to watch The Passenger and has arachnophobia. I bet that wasn't fun. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, no, thank you guys for chiming in with your thoughts and letting you know, letting us know what you thought of the episodes. Um, can't wait to keep hearing your reactions and, and get to chat with you guys about all this stuff as the season continues. Um, but yeah, I think that's just about going to do it for now. Um, as always, you can check us out online. Follow us on Twitter at Star Wars TSC. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Star Wars The Saga Continues. You can check out our website at starwarstsc.com and send us email at starwarstsc at gmail.com if you want to send us thoughts, questions, comments, whatever, and have us read those on the show as well. Um, and of course, be sure to check out thunderquack.com for all the cool uh, podcasts in the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Uh, Mike and Matt are going to be back on Faster, More Intense, breaking down every episode Yay! of The Mandalorian as well this season. Um, of course, I told Mike I'd help him write the recap for this week's episode, 
and you know then they give us a character named Frog Lady and don't actually tell her what her name tell us what her name is so that's going to just be <laughs> not fun um I'll actually be on that episode talking more about uh the passenger so I'll oh, just there you re- go. Well, yeah, you can... Frog Lady from that recap. You yeah, yeah, yeah. You just, just prepare to read Frog Lady a bunch of times because I don't have anything else to call her. <laughs> um, but yeah, you guys can check out their commentary on uh, on the Mandalorian as well. And uh, Tim's going to be over there. So, um, But that's going to do it for this episode. We will be back either with some more Star Wars news or some more Mandalorian reviews or uh, whatever we've got for you guys in a couple weeks. But Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time. May the force be with you. This is the way. See you next time, everybody. Godspeed, Rebels. Rebels.